Welcome to your Denver City Council. Please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. Today's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Sam and Alejandro, would you please introduce yourselves and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Of course. Thank you very much for having us back once again. A pleasure as always. Hola a todos. Gracias por tenerme aquí con ustedes. Mi nombre es Alejandro Arrieta. Seré el intérprete del español el día de hoy junto con mi colega Sam. En este espacio, si usted prefiere escuchar en español, virtualmente aquí en Zoom, podrá ver el icono terráqueo, mundo de, eh, que es como un mundo, a mano derecha en la parte de abajo en su pantalla. Si ha ingresado a la reunión usando un dispositivo móvil, tal como celular o tableta, podrá ver la opción de la interpretación bajo el menú con los tres puntitos que dice más. Ahí también puede seleccionar el español y poner el audio original en silencio, si es algo que usted eh, prefiera hacer. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Alejandro. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, November 13th, 2023. Council members, please join me. Um, please rise as you're able and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Thank you very much. And council members, please join Councilwoman Lewis as she leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. Thank you. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges the land on which we reside in the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have for, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous people. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Here. Alvitres. Here. Flynn. Here. Gilmore. Here. Hines. Here. Cashman. Here. Lewis. Present. Parody. Here. Romero Campbell. Here. Sandoval. Present. Sawyer. Here. Watson. Here. Madam President. Here. 13 members present. There are 13 members present. Council has a quorum. Council will now vote to either adopt or reject the mayor's proposed 2024 budget as amended. Councilwoman Lewis, um, we need a motion to adopt. I move that the mayor's proposed 2024 budget be adopted as amended. Thank you very much. And we can take comments from members of council. We'll start with Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. When I was elected to Denver City Council in 2014, our culture was vastly different. 
since then, we've worked hard to transform our council into a group that leverages its collective strength to shape our city's budget and do more to deliver for Denverites, and more importantly, include them in their city government. We've asked tough questions, demanded more briefings and transparency, and insisted on more interaction. We've had more interaction before, before the annual budget release to make sure that your voice has shaped every dollar spent in this budget. I couldn't be prouder of this body. You engaged with each one of us. You collaborated, listened, and held strong to ensure that we could deliver to our neighborhoods in a significant way. We are stronger when we work together. Remember that. Beware of settling for grant money that can vanish quickly. If you want systemic change to happen, it needs to happen through the city's general fund allocations. That is why we rejected only paying for STAR through caring for Denver funds in 2021. We wanted this crucial program funded through our general fund because it's more sustainable and solid. It lasts. Past councils crawled so this council could fly. Together, we set a solid foundation and the expectation for what this council can achieve. I'm so excited for the work that lies ahead. I know that we can achieve so much more together. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, so I'm speaking off the cuff. And I think um, what I want to say to everyone tonight before we take this vote is that um, what you saw in this budget process was a new mayor, um, a, about 50% new council um, digging in during um, just a really, really difficult budget context for a city. Um, we're, we're small as a city. We're not the state. Um, our budget, um, $1.7 billion is a lot of money, um, but the need that calls on that money is almost endless. Um, and so I think the challenge for our city is to continue to figure out um, how do we build revenue so that we don't have to pit needs against each other? Um, and how do we think about like, what is our job as local government? Um, to me, that will always be making sure that everyone in Denver has their basic needs met. Um, you've probably heard me say that before. You will hear me say that again. If that's not happening and if that's not kind of the metric that we're using to decide where those dollars go, um, then I don't think we're succeeding as local government. Um, I'm really proud of the work that council as a body did on this budget. Um, I think having all 13 of us coming together behind one of the most urgent needs in our city as co-sponsors um, was was I don't want to say unprecedented necessarily, but it was um, it felt big, um, and I'm just really proud to be up here with these other 12 folks tonight. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, Madam President. Um, echo what my colleagues have said <laughs> thus far. Thank you for that. Um, I, I will be uh, voting in favor of, of of this year's budget, but it does not do what we need our budget to do, and I think Councilwoman Parity is is right on online and we simply need more money. Um, we need to be investing far more heavily on the uh, social, social programs that impact public health and public safety, the mental health, the drug treatment, the after school <laughs> programs. I mean, we, we had after school providers ask us for over $30 million of additional monies for after school programs and, and we're not able to get any of that. We uh, did, a, a, I think, a tremendous job of, of coalescing 
around the rental assistance and the nearly $30 million that we came up with was $20 million less than the advocates told us they really needed. Um, I, I thank the mayor for his uh, willingness to compromise and to collaborate with this council. Uh, but I think uh, when we come around a year from now, we're gonna need a budget that addresses the, the problems that, that I mentioned more uh, dramatically, or we're gonna have more substantial problems that uh, we're not prepared to address. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Um, I'll add uh, my thanks to this body and to the administration. Uh, we opened up our budget priorities process uh, once the new council members and this new body was uh, sworn in in July uh, and made sure that what we presented to the administration was fully reflective of this body. Um, and so I thank everyone on this dais um, and the new administration, but I also thank the bridge in between, which was our Department of Finance um, and the amount of work that you go through uh, really starting um, maybe quarter one, quarter two of every year to get prepared for this moment um, is, is mammoth, it is monster. And the kinds of things that we're seeing happen in our city right now are not lost on them. And so um, I think everybody, um, not just prioritizing really important things, but also working together um, to get us to this point. Um, Councilman Cashman, you're back in. Yeah, just, just a quick uh, context. I did a little bit of research this morning. Denver's budget, as we've all heard, is about 1.7 billion. If you throw in the airport, golf, and wastewater, we're a little bit up over four. New York City's 2024 budget was 107 billion dollars. Different place, I understand, but just for context. All right, thank you, uh, Madam Secretary. Roll call on the motion to adopt the mayor's proposed 2024 budget as amended. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvitras. Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Humero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Mayor's proposed. 20, proposed. 2024 budget has been adopted as amended. Thank you, everyone. Um, approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of November 6th? Seeing none, those minutes stand approved. Uh, council announcements. Are there any announcements today? Councilwoman Romero-Campbell. Thank you, Council President. I just wanted to announce that we are going to be having our senior luncheon um, coming up right after Thanksgiving on Wednesday, the 29th of November. And uh, this is open to all of District 4 community and everyone is invited. Uh, if you go on to our website, there is a link to sign up, but it is, it will be at the Wilshire um, at 11 uh, o'clock in the afternoon or in the early morning. It's the lunch, the lunch time. Thank you. And that'll be November 29th. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Um, happy to announce that the first of what will be a series uh, entitled Barbershop Talks in District 9. We're hosting this Wednesday evening starting from 530 to 7 o'clock at House of Hair on 5023 East 28th Avenue. We'll have former speaker Terrence Carroll, 
and we'll have Senator uh, James Coleman speaking about issues important to small businesses and folks within the black community, encouraging folks to come out for a great discussion, some light uh, food and uh, just great talk with community. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilwoman Parity. Thank you, um, and I'm announcing this just because Councilman Watson already did an announcement, it's in his district. Um, the famous Daddy Bruce Thanksgiving Feed a Family uh, dinner is this Saturday from 1230 onward at 6, 1865 Bruce Randolph Avenue. Um, they can, it's truly an all hands on deck kind of wonderful experience to um, work the line and pack the boxes. Um, so if anyone has the capacity to come volunteer um, or donate, you can do that through the Epworth Foundation. Great, thank you so much. Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. Um, in the vein of, of uh, community kind of coffee chats, um, my office is starting this. Um, our plan is to actually go, not necessarily to each individual district, but to go to different communities that may um, involve different districts. So we'll be kicking that off this Friday at 10 a.m. at Torpedo Cafe, uh, 2231 Oneida Street. Uh, and that um, so we're trying to get out into Northeast Denver, Montbello is where my office will be and um, just have opportunity for one on one conversations, small group conversations. And so if anybody's watching and would like an opportunity to connect with me, uh, I will be there. Thank you so much, Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. I just wanted to um, thank the Northside community and people throughout Denver. Um, we have a migrant shelter in Northwest Denver that is experiencing an encampment of migrants who have timed out of the shelter. And this Saturday, um, there was an impromptu pop-up barbershop uh, for people who, for four gentlemen who are barbers in Venezuela and have no work here. And so my community put together a pop-up barbershop um, where I think 52 individuals got haircuts so that we could put the individual, those four individuals to work. And then Sunday in the Valdez Elementary School parking lot, there was a um, free type of giveaway thrift store type situation where the entire parking lot of Valdez was filled with donations and individuals from the encampment and from the shelter could come and pick what they felt was needed. So I just wanna give a shout out to the Highland Mommies um, uh, Migrant Support Group. Um, they've been working fast and furious. And I just have a request that if you have availability to open your home to any of these migrants, that's what is needed most, is they wanna work and they need housing. They do not want these handouts. I've talked to them personally and they feel embarrassed for having to take all of these donations what they do is they want jobs and they want somewhere to live so if you have an opportunity to have an extra room or you would like to have a sponsor of family please contact my office and we can put you in connection but i'm just going to ask a plea for all of denver we need housing and we need to open up our housing to these people individuals for a certain amount of time so they can get themselves on their feet but thank you to my community for showing up and um, showing how great our community can be when we all come together. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. And there are no presentations, no communications, uh, no proclamations being read this afternoon. Um, Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Business, Arts, Workforce and Aviation Services Committee, 
23-1576, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Old South Gaylord Business Improvement District. 23-1577, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Cherry Creek Sub-Area Business Improvement District. 23-1578, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget and an amended 2023 budget for the Cherry Creek North Business Improvement District. 23-1579, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget and an amended 2023 budget for the Downtown Denver Business Improvement District. 23-1580, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Colfax Business Improvement District. 23-1581, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan for the West Colfax Business Improvement District. 23-1582, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Federal Boulevard Business Improvement District. 23-1583, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Bluebird Business Improvement District. 23-1584, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Colfax Mayfair Business Improvement District. 23-1585, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget for the Santa Fe Business Improvement District. 23-1586, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget and an amended 2023 budget for the Rhino Business Improvement District. 23-1587, a bill for an ordinance approving a 2024 operating plan and budget and an amended 2023 budget for the Five Points Business Improvement District. 23-1588, a bill for an ordinance approving the 2024 annual plan and operating budget and an amended 2023 operating budget for the Denver Tourism Improvement District. From the Finance and Governance Committee, 23-1572, a bill for an ordinance amending the classification and pay plan for employees in the career service and for certain employees not in the career service. 23-1617, a bill for an ordinance amending the 1963 retirement plan with regard to definitions, retirement benefits, internal revenue code qualification requirements, disability retirement application, actuarial matters. 23-1618, a bill for an ordinance amending the 1963 retirement plan with regards to retirement ben benefits. From the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee, 23-1482, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 624 East 50th Avenue and 4964 North Pearl Street in Globeville. 23-1567, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for multiple properties along East Colfax between Grant Street and Yasmite Street in North Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill, City Park West, Cheeseman Park, City Park, Congress Park, South Park Hill, Hale, Montclair, and East Colfax. 23-1615, a bill for an ordinance relinquishing a portion of the easement established in the permanent easement for public access recorded with the Denver clerk and recorder at reception number 2022 068734 located at 1049 North Stewart Street. 23-1622, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the Broadway Viaduct Pedestrian Mall local maintenance district upon the real property exclusive of 
improvements thereon benefited. 23-1623, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the 22nd Street and Park Avenue West Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property, exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1624, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the con con consolidated Morrison Road Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property, exclusive of, improvement, of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1625, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, security, repair, maintenance, and replacement of Skyline Park Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1626, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the St. Luke's Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1627, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the West 38th Avenue Phase 1 Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1628, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the expanded Greektown Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1629, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the Golden Triangle Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1630, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the Phase 2 West 38th Avenue Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1631, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the Broadway Pedestrian Mall B Local Maintenance District upon the real property, exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1632, a bill for an ordinance assessing the annual costs of the continuing care, operation, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the Phase 2 Broadway Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District upon the real property, exclusive of improvements thereon benefited. 23-1680, a bill for an ordinance rel relinquishing a portion of the easement established in the deed of easement recorded with the Denver Clerk and Recorder at reception number 1999-095-675 located at 5231 Leedsdale Drive. Safety, from the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee, 23-1558, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed amendatory agreement between the City and County of Denver and University of Colorado Hospital Authority to provide care, treatment, and supportive, supportive services to individuals living with HIV AIDS. 23-1559, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed amendatory agreement between the City and County of Denver and Denver Health and Hospital Authority to provide care, treatment, and supportive services to individuals living with HIV AIDS. 23-1620, a bill for an ordinance creating a new Article 
8 of Chapter 14 of the Denver Revised Municipal Co Code to provide increased protection of victims' rights in mun municipal courts within the city and county of Denver. Denver, and to align the code with the requirements of HB 23-1222 for municipalities that prosecute criminal acts of domestic violence. 23-1621, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed fiscal year 2024 amendment to the second amended and restated operating agreement between the city and county of Denver and Denver Health and Hospital Authority, providing for the amounts to be paid for services by the city and county of Denver and by the Denver Health and Hospital Authority for fiscal year 2024. Well done, Madam Secretary, thank you very much. Luke, get her some beverages. <laughs> um, council members, this is your last opportunity to call out an item. Councilwoman Lewis, will you make the motions for us today? Yes. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I'll do a recap. Under resolutions, Councilwoman Lewis has called out 23-1539 for questions and comments. Councilwoman Gilmore has called out 23-1607 for a vote. Under bills for introduction, Councilman Watson has called out 23-1586 for questions and comments, and Councilwoman Sandoval has called out 23-1632 for a postponement. And under bills for final consideration, Councilwoman Sandoval has called out Council Bill 23-1507 for an amendment. Under pending, no items have been called out. Uh, Madam Secretary, will you please put the first item on our screens? This is resolution 1539, a contract between Denver and McKinstry Ascension for Renewable Denver Community Solar Initiative. Councilwoman Lewis, go ahead with your questions on resolution 1539. Thank you. Um, I just have a few questions um, regarding this. Is there a um, decommissioning plan for these at the end of their operational life? Uh, for the solar side, not the batteries? Sure, we don't have a formal plan. Can you introduce goal. yourself real quick? Sure, thank you. Uh, Drew Halpern, Senior Energy Project Manager, Climate Action, Sustainability and Resiliency. Uh, we do not have a formal plan. We got about 25 years until these will be decommissioned. We plan to work on a recycling plan. Those facilities don't really exist yet. <laughs> so we need to plan for the future for those. Uh, so would that be on file with the city and county once you all make that decision? Like once you formalize that plan? Sorry, I couldn't hear it. Will that be on file with the city and county once you all move forward with the, the plan for the decommissioning? I might look to my executive director for the right answer for that. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. Whether we file a plan for recycling. Liz, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Liz Babcock. I'm the executive director for the office. Um, I don't know if it's required that we file a plan, but we'd be happy to share that information with you once we've developed it, if that would be of interest. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it. And then the final question is, if there's a financial mechanism attached to the decommissioning. I know you said it's 25 years out, but I'm curious of who would be funding that. Yeah, we don't have a cost included. Right now the costs uh, in the amendment are for the installation and the ongoing operations and maintenance, uh, but we don't have any decommissioning costs included. So likely the taxpayers, if we don't, if it's not the company, then the, the taxpayers. Correct, it's not currently on McKinstry as part of the contract. All right, thank you, that's all. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens, resolution 1607, contract between Denver and Gilmore Construction Corp. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put resolution 1607 on the floor for adoption? I move that council resolution 23-1607 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council, Councilwoman Gilmore. 
Thank you, Council President. I've called out this resolution because I'll be abstaining as Gilmore Construction is my brother-in-law's company. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, roll call on resolution 1607. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvitras. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Abstain. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Nay. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. One nay, 11 ayes. 11 ayes. Council Resolution 1607 is adopted. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Council Bill 1586 regarding the Rhino Improvement District. Councilman Watson, please go ahead with your questions and comments. Uh, thank you, Council President. Is Michael Kerrigan? Michael, I see you. Do you mind coming forward and introducing yourself, sir? Good afternoon, Councilmember Watson. I'm Michael Kerrigan from the Department of Finance. Thank you, Michael. And sometimes your voice is kind of soft, so if you speak up, I have a few questions for you. Uh, this is for a review of the bid for the River North Art District's um, budget and plan. Um, there has been some discussion last Monday in public comments. There are some very specific uh, statements that were made concerning um, what the what the some business owners in, in the Art District wanted from City Council to take as far as a possible dispute between them and the bid. Uh, I have some specific questions for you on specifically what's the role for council and what has been your communication with any um, businesses within the River North Art District concerning concerns with the bid. So I'll start first. If you could just at a high level, sir, please describe the role of Denver City Council in bid budget and planning process. Yes, yeah, so City Council, um, as per state statute, is required to either approve or disapprove the uh, BID's budget and operating plan by December 5th of each year. So as I stated, during public comments and in a letter we received from the Rhino, from Rhino bid businesses, there was an ask for an audit of the Rhino bid. Please describe what audit process is in place, if one is in place, and is there any role for Denver City Council in that audit process? Yeah, so the bid is a separate political subdivision of the state, and the city does not have the power to audit uh, the financial books of the BID. Um, the BID is subject to state statute that does require a third party audit to audit those books. Um, as long as the BID's revenues and expenditures are greater than $750,000, um, the BID then will have to hire a third party audit and have that auditor perform that audit for them. Then that audit is uh, supplied to the state auditor's office and put on file. And then additionally, um, when we request the uh, documents for annual budget approval. Uh, we do request a copy of that audit to be included as well. Was there an audit done in 2022 for the River North Art District uh, Business Improvement District? Yes, so, so the, it's, the, it's the Rhino Business Improvement District. Um, and there was an audit completed in, for the 2022 financial fiscal year. And is it your expectation for the filing of this new budget 
that there'll be an audit based on the, the dollars received or the, the assets under management of this bid. Uh, are you talking about for the 2023 calendar yes. year? Yes. Um, so the, the, the due to the size of the, the BID's budget, it is expected there would be a 2023 audit completed. And as per state statute, I believe it is the 30th of June that those are due unless there are there, unless there's an extension granted. Did you receive a request from business owners um, of information about audits or steps they can take? And did, did you communicate to them the steps that you're communicating tonight? Yes, I did. You did, okay. Um, my third question is, what are the steps businesses within the Business Improvement District can take to receive financials and provide feedback communications for any concerns they currently have with the Business Improvement Districts? Are there steps that they can take um, for concerns, for questions, for communications, specific around the financials of the bid? Yeah, so uh, those concerned citizens can, uh, or business owners can show up to all of the public meetings, the board meetings, um, make, their, make their voices heard during those public comment sessions. Uh, they can um, run for the board, be appointed to the board and uh, have a seat at the board. Um, and then also at uh, city council meetings when there's uh, public comment for, for, for those items being heard. Michael, were any of these questions or concerns brought to your attention from members of the, the business community that um, it's governed by the bid? Yes, um, I believe it was maybe two weeks ago or so, I received an email and a phone call from a uh, constituent within the Rhino uh, BID. Were you able to communicate any of this information to them and how was that communication done? Uh, yes, so I, I uh, responded to the, uh, to the email via email of my own. Uh, and then I responded to, to the direct questions that were in the email and then also responded to the voicemail questions that were asked of me as well. Did you receive a follow-up from any of the uh, business owners within the bid? Um, as of about 3.30 today, I, I have not received any, any return emails. And, and Madam President, I want to share that the, uh, the questions as well as the email communication from Mr. Kerrigan, I shared that with council, so council members have those responses on file. I have a quick question for members of the bid. So Michael, if you don't mind staying close, I think some other council members may have questions for you. Are there representatives of the, um, the, the bid here that will be able to answer any questions? And I'll, I'll just have one overarching question and then I'll see if I have any follow-up based on if any other council members have questions. Um, do you mind introducing yourself and your role with the bid? Yes, thanks Councilman Watson. Uh, my name is Diana Merkel. I'm chair of the Rhino Bid Board. Thank you, Councilman Watson and council members. My name is Charity Von Guinness. I'm the executive director of Rhino Art District. And, and I appreciate you both being here. I can say I was concerned once the comments were made last Monday, very specific comments from business owners. And obviously I live in the community. I know pretty much everyone involved in this process. Um, they were concerning. I'm curious from your perspective as a leadership of the bid, what steps have you taken to meet to to meet with, to listen, and to provide transparency to neighbors um, based on the concerns that were um, brought forward last Monday? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um, we have received uh, many emails over the last year um, addressing these. We've met with these constituents several times in person. 
Um, <clears throat> we've also allowed them to present and attend um, bid board meetings to express their concerns. Um, so they were doing that in August for the bid board meeting and as well as in June for that bid board meeting, um, expressing their concerns around certain initiatives the bid had done. So we have tried to be inclusive and, and hear them out around their concerns and address them as they arise. Um, and then we can talk about, you know, pursuing mediation if that's necessary to resolve these concerns that were brought forward last week. And anything else that you would like to elaborate on? I would just add that, you know, we followed standard protocol during our annual budget voting and public hearing. And, uh, you know, we, we do want to address any concerns and we're looking into mediation if it's necessary. Thank you both. I, I want to share is that the, the council member within that district, I've met with both um, the business improvement district as well as individual business owners to talk through and met with them separately. Um, those concerns brought forward were, were serious concerns. I look forward to continue collaborating with you and um, the bid and with, with business owners on what steps we can take towards solutions. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Michael, for providing um, details on the steps that you've taken and the specific responses to questions. I'm Madam President, I'm looking forward to see if there are additional questions from members of council. Thank you, Councilman Watson. There are none. Anything to follow up on? Uh, no follow up, ma'am. Okay, thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, please, thank you folks. Um, th uh, please put the next item on our screens. Council Bill 1632, Phase 2, Broadway Pedestrian Mall Approving Assessments. Councilwoman Lewis, will you put Bill 1632 on the floor for publication? I move that Council Bill 23-1632 be postponed to after Council reconvenes. Nope, just ordered published. Oh, my bad. <laughs> A couple lines above that. Just ordered published. Oh, shit. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm it's so right. sorry. <laughs> Let's take a deep breath. <laughs> I am exceptionally tired. It's today. a well-known okay. acronym. <laughs> Let's start over. Councilman Lewis, will you please put Bill 1632 on the floor for publication? I move that Council Bill 23-1632 be ordered in public. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Councilwoman Sandoval, your motion to postpone. I move that Council Bill 1632 be postponed to after Council reconvenes from the board, at, from the board or as the board of equalization and its hearing. Thank you. And that has been moved and seconded. Uh, comments by members of Council, Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Council President. I'm requesting that Council vote to postpone Council Bill 231632 so that council can first convene at 5.30 as the Board of Equalization and consider any reductions to the assessment before approving any assessments for the same local maintenance district. Perfect, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call on the postponement of Bill 1632. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvitres. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. 
Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. A consideration of Council Bill 1632 will be postponed to after the Council reconvenes of the board, as the Board of Equalization and from its hearing. Uh, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. This is Council Bill 1507, the City School Coordinating Committee. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Bill 1507 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1507 placed on final consideration and do pass. Great, and that's been moved and seconded. Uh, Councilwoman Sandoval, your amendment, please. I move that Council Bill 23-1507 be amended as follows. On page two, line 22, strike principal and replace with principal or administrator. Thank you very much. Let's get that moved and seconded. It has been moved and seconded. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. This is a change to the um, City School Coordinating Committee bill that Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez and I have been working on for over the past months, few months, and wanted to make sure that we gave flexibility to Denver Public Schools by adding administrator and not just requiring a principal to serve on the committee. Um, we're thankful and we hope that we can get all of the support for this. Um, we have been working with Denver Public Schools on this. We met with the Dem DCTA, the Teachers Union, um, all of you and community to make sure that we have the best possible bill moving forward for the City School Coordinating Committee. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Um, thank you, Madam President. And I wanna thank um, Councilwoman or Pro Tem Sandoval uh, for all of the work that she has done on this and partnership. Uh, and I also do want to thank the district for, for coming to the table to have the conversation. Uh, and we were able to, I think, um, you know, just some final um, language uh, fixes that were made. And so I really appreciate all the work that has been done and uh, all of the thoughtfulness uh, behind it. So please uh, support this amendment to this, uh, to the bill. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, um, I will just add, I think um, the co-sponsors all along have been incredibly um, collaborative and accommodating. Um, and uh, this is just the final example of making sure that this language is a language that makes sense for um, everyone that's involved for this committee that has existed for over 50 years, but probably hasn't been very useful. Um, so looking forward to the next uh, several decades. Um, Madam Secretary, roll call on the amendment to Council Bill 1507. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidrez. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Hines. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Hines? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Council Bill 1507 has been amended. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Bill 1507 as amended on the floor for final passage? 
Um, I move that Council Bill 23-1507, as amended, place upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you, and it's been moved and seconded. Comments by members of Council on Bill 1507, as amended. We'll start with the co-sponsors, Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Um, so for those in the audience who may be wondering what we're doing up here um, making sausage, what we're working on is called the City School Coordinating Committee. And this has been in existence since 1938 in Denver. And what it does is it works with the city and county of Denver and Denver Public Schools. It has not been convened since around 20, 2011, 2012, the last time that I've done research. And um, oftentimes we heard that we needed a mechanism to meet with Denver Public Schools as um, taxpayers, even if you may not go or have children in Denver Public Schools, you are paying for our their education. I am, I say I am DPS. I graduated from Denver Public Schools. I graduated from North High School. Both my children graduated from North High School. My sibling works in um, at at Denver Public Schools. And I felt it was time to have a better mechanism to be able to meet and convene with Denver Public Schools. So what we are doing is this has been a long process. We have started um, working on this ordinance in August. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez joined as co-sponsor. As co and we were going back and forth with Denver Public Schools on amending the language so that we can come together exactly what this ordinance is called, City School Coordinating Committee. And what that will do is better for all of the residents in Denver, better for the students in Denver, better for parents in the Denver, and better for all of us. So what this last amendment was, is that you all saw us making the sausage up here, was adding the availability to go not just have a principal on the community, on the, on the committee, but also have a principal and an administrator. So if you have any questions about how this committee would work, please feel free to reach out to myself or co-sponsor Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. And I just wanna give a shout out to all of my colleagues. Thank you for your patience as we've worked through this. Um, wanna give a shout out to all the Denver Public School board members. Thank you for your service. They are true champions. They work, they don't have a budget, they don't have staff, they're elected and they, um, take on a lot of the challenges that are facing Denver without much financial support or staff. So I have the utmost respect for our board members on Denver Public Schools and for all of the teachers and for all the principals and for the administration, administration Superintendent Dr. Morero, and also for everyone, all of you who are taxpayers in Denver. Thank you for making sure that we have free education for the students in Denver. Um, and I just hope that you all can sponsor, um, make sure that this gets approved and we can convene this in 2024. And just wanna give a shout out to Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you so much for stepping in and helping be a mediator and making sure that we got to a good place in this final amendment. Thank you, Council. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. And I wanna thank you again, Council Pro Tem Sandoval um, for when I asked if I could join this effort um, really because this is about collaboration and this is about, you know, government agencies or entities, um, you know, different levels of government actually communicating with one another. And so I'm really looking forward to how this will work going forward, seeing the many crises that our community is navigating. Um, even right now, you know, not just talking about, you know, the, the 2020 time of COVID, 
um, we're looking right now, currently, and, and potentially in the future. And this will be a way that we can better serve our community. And I also think it is a way for us as elected officials coordinating with um, you know, other elected officials and also coordinating with community members and folks who have expertise in these areas. It's incredibly important uh, so that we can make sure that we're doing the best um, that we can do for our students, for our teachers, for our families, um, and, and everyone involved. So I'm very grateful to have been a part of this effort and I am looking forward to seeing how, um, how it moves forward in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you, um, Madam Chair. I just wanted to thank uh, the Councilwoman for bringing this forward and more specifically to, be, to thank you both for being responsive um, when members of the council had some concerns around um, how we were advancing this. And so um, I really appreciate when we're able to model what it looks like to build bridges um, and to, to work in that messy middle to be able to get um, to the answers that we need, understanding that <clears throat> the audience or the topic that we were discussing is our most valuable asset, right, our students. Um, and so I really appreciate you all's commitment to be able to get this work done and, and getting this over the, um, the line. And so thank you both. Um, and I'm looking forward to working in partnership with DPS. Thank you, Councilwoman Romero-Campbell. Thank you, Madam President. I, I also wanna thank um, our fellow council members, um, Pro Tem Sandoval and Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez for bringing this forward. I think it's so critically important. I'm a proud DPS graduate. My kids are third you know, generation DPS graduates. And I think our community expects that systems will work together. And I think this is the right step for us to be able to say, that we are responsive, they are all our students, it's all of our community, and just uh, really proud of um, you to bring this forward and to reinvigorate um, the conversations that are so necessary that we need to have in our community. So thank you, and um, I just appreciate the work that you've done. And now the real work starts, sausage made, now we've got to grill it. Um, thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Council President. And I also want to thank uh, uh, President Pro Tem Sandoval, as well as uh, Councilwoman uh, Gonzalez Gutierrez. Uh, often we hear or um, is uh, communicated in the press how government doesn't work uh, collaboratively. The many ways in which that we don't um, choose to build bridges uh, for the greater good. Uh, this was not an easy task for both of these councilwomen to lead. Uh, Councilwoman um, Sandoval to have the courage to say in the first um, five days of being um, 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 sworn in to take this on and Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez to join in as well. Um, I think this is a model for the way government should work on um, not just simply on the easy things, but on something like this that's really tough. I thank the school board members as council uh, president pro tem uh, Sandoval spoke to that our elected officials with no staff unpaid and that they also leaned in on this process. I mean, this is uh, kind of could be a catalyst for how we in municipal government can work across the board, not just with DPS, but uh, even possibly with RTD. And so to, two, to both of you as the leaders of this process, thank you for your willingness to listen, to collaborate, and to work um, with other elected officials for the greater good of our community and, and for, as Councilwoman Lewis said, um, our, 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 our best of ourselves, our children. So thank you so much, Council President. Thank you very much. 
Um, I also look forward to supporting this and thank the work of our co-sponsors as well. Madam Secretary, roll call on Bill 1507 as amended. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidrez. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, please close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Council Bill 1507 has passed. Congratulations. Thank you. All bills are uh, for introduction are ordered published. Council members, remember this is a consent or a block vote, and you'll need to vote aye. Otherwise, this is your last chance to call it an item for a separate vote. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? I move that the resolutions for adoptions and the bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items. Here we go, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> been moved and seconded. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidrez. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. The resolutions have been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Tonight, council will sit as the quasi-judicial board of equalization to consider reduction of total cost assessments 
for one local maintenance district, phase two Broadway pedestrian mall in council district seven. There'll also be a required public hearing for council bill 23-1364, changing the zoning classification for 1021 North Monroe street in Congress park. Anyone wishing to speak on either of these matters must go online to sign up during the recess of council. If there are no objections from members of council, we will recess until 5.30 p.m. before reconvening the regular meeting. City Council will hold a half hour general public comment session begins at 11 a.m. on Friday, November 17th. And we look forward to hearing from everyone again. Thank you for attending and stay with us for the Denver City Council meeting, which will start immediately. Thank you for being here, everyone. The second Monday of most months, Denver City Council in partnership with Arts and Venues celebrates our cultural uh, and creative sector by featuring the talented artists of cultural organizations that make our city great. The Denver Municipal Band is one of the oldest actively performing professional bands in the United States, perhaps only younger to the Marine Corps Band. It is the oldest professional ensemble in Colorado and for 162 years, concerts have been free to the public and a staple for bringing the community together. In 1861, the Denver City Band was helped to um, was formed to help tame a mining town only about to be incorporated. In 1891, it became the Denver Municipal Band when the city of Denver began its annual funding for the band. The band is proud to have been involved in performing the National uh, Democratic Convention in Denver in 1908 and 2008, playing in the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair and the 1915 San Francisco World's Fair entertaining U.S. and allied troops in World War II, playing for the Armed Forces Network, and taping performances for servicemen and women in Vietnam and the USO. It's partnering with Tarek Chakara of Digital Space LLC to produce a band documentary broadcast on Rocky Mountain PBS numerous times over the past year, supporting Denver Sister Cities program with Takayama Japan, performing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue in Harvey Park, land once owned by Paul Whitman, Whiteman, the jazz conductor um, who commissioned the piece, performing the opening of Levitt Pavilion, the Taste of Ethiopia Festival, and the Westminster Latino Festival, and becoming the first organization to perform for detainees at the Denver County Jail. We welcome to Chambers, the Denver Municipal Band. <laughs>
Thank you for having us. We're doing two selections. The first was, of course, America the Beautiful, which has its Colorado connection, as the words were penned atop Pike's Peak by Catherine Lee Bates. Our second selection is in honor of Veterans Day, which was we celebrated over the weekend, and is titled Armed Forces Salute. And what you'll hear is all of the service hymns or tunes, and in the order that you're going to hear them, it will be Army, Marine, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard.
really beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, are you doing more? That's it? Okay. <laughs> Before you go, will you just share a little bit about who's with you today um, and where we can find more information about the Denver Municipal Band? Uh, into the mic, if you wouldn't oh, mind. Yeah. I know you're crunched in there. In it's the... all good. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting us. I know I've got a lot of friends here and a lot of friends I have yet to meet. Um, my name is Joseph Martin, and I have been executive director, but now I'm artistic director of the Denver Municipal Band and the conductor of the, of the concert band, which performs in the summers. And with me, this is Evan King on trumpets. This is Sarah Ford on horn, Emmanuel Jester on tuba, and behind me, David Artley on trumpet as well. That's our group. And I invite you, please come and hear us during the summer. We have, uh, take a look at denvermusicalband.org, and we have a lot of concerts. We, we uh, are the great equalizer. We prevent, present concerts of this quality to people all across Denver for free. All they gotta do is just enjoy the beautiful parks and come out and hear us. So thank you for your continued support, and I hopefully we'll get a chance to see some of you when we're performing this summer. Thank you so much. And thank this you, was man. beautifully arranged. Thanks to Councilman Watson. So I wanna turn it over and see if you had any comment. Hey, uh, John and team, thank you so much. Uh, so blessed to have you all. I appreciate you, the work you do within our parks and providing the opportunity for music. Uh, I know you came to Madam C.J. Walker Park a few years ago when we brought community together to, um, to, to salute her service and uh, in Denver. So thank you to the Denver Municipal Band. Thank you for helping us celebrate a veteran today. And thank you for being here with us uh, and celebrating with all of us here and the folks that are watching on Channel 8. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you all President. again for being here. I know um, you'll transition out, but we'll go ahead and get started with our meeting. Um, Council will now reconvene from our earlier session. There is no unfinished business. Um, we do have two proclamations being read this evening. Councilman Watson, will you please read Proclamation 23-1772? And, and I'll ask uh, the folks from Denver Municipal Band to, to stay with us, because this is part of kind of your um, respectful um, presentation uh, for Veterans Day. I want to continue that with a proclamation to veterans. So thank you, Council President. <laughs> Go ahead and read the proclamation. Proclamation 231772, honoring the service and sacrifice of our veterans. Whereas Veterans Day is a national holiday in the United States that honors the service and sacrifice of veterans of the armed forces. Those who have protected our nation's freedoms and defended our democracy. And whereas Veterans Day originated as Armistice Day on November 11th, 1919 the first anniversary of the end of World War I and became a legal federal holiday in 1938, marking the date when the guns fell silent and the war came to an end. And whereas the city and county of Denver is home to nearly 30,000 military veterans, thank you all, who have served in various conflicts and peacetime missions. And whereas black, indigenous, and other racial minority veterans including the Tuskegee-trained 99th Pursuit Squadron, the first African-American flying squadron to see combat, and the Navajo Code Talkers, whose unbreakable code helped the U.S. Marine Corps from 1942 to 1945 secure freedom at home and abroad through their selfless valor 
and their continued service to our country and and whereas the dedication and selflessness of our veterans have played an integral role in safeguarding our peace, ensuring our prosperity, and upholding the values we hold dear, such as liberty, justice, and equality, and whereas the contributions of our veterans, both past and present, have left an indelible mark on our nation, inspiring generations with their courage, resilience, and sense of duty, and whereas the Denver City Council is committed to supporting the rights and needs of the veterans in our community, now therefore be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, Section 1, that the Council of the City and County of Denver hereby proclaims November 11, 2023 as Veterans Day in Denver, and that all citizens are encouraged to observe this day with appropriate ceremonies and activities that honor and thank our veterans for their service and dedication to our country, Section 2, that the Clerk of the City and County of Denver shall affix the seal of the City and County of Denver to this proclamation and that copies be transmitted to Denver's veteran community. Thank you very much. Councilman Watson, your motion to adopt? I move that Proclamation 23-1772 be adopted. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. Uh, comments by members of Council? We'll start with Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Council President. Um, Angela uh, Russell, are you, are you here? Yes, good, good. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna call you out soon for, for a comment, but I wanted to say um, thank you first and foremost to the Denver Municipal Band for agreeing to do this at such short notice. Um, I am proud to be uh, a son of military family. I'm proud to be a brother of, uh, of of men and women that have served our country. And I think as you look through the generations of our family, I think we possibly have fought and served in every war in, in this country, oftentimes without um, being um, acknowledged as actually full Americans, but still we stood in solidarity for our country. And I thank each and every one of the veterans that are here uh, tonight in the audience and each and every one of the veterans here in Denver that um, gave their time, their energy, their souls and their families for their sacrifice and support. So um, I'm gonna call you later on Angela, but I wanted to start first in saying this idea for doing this tonight came from Angela Russell. Uh, we met in Five Points at a, another event that we were supporting. Um, and Ms. Russell walked over to me and said, Councilmember Watson, uh, why don't we do a celebration for veterans in front of city council? And I said, what a great idea. So I wanted to applaud you for putting that idea into my mind and thank you for being here tonight. Council President. Thank you, Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Watson, for inviting me to co-sponsor this with you. Uh, it's my honor and uh, deep privilege, actually, to represent Southwest Denver's District 2, which is home to Fort Logan National Cemetery. Since I've been here for eight years now, too many people that I have come to know, uh, including my brother-in-law, for one, have made that their final resting place. I was told when I took office that at that time there were about 122,000 interments at Fort Logan National Cemetery. That's an incredible statistic. And from personal experience over the past eight years and more recently with my brother-in-law, learned that they average upward of 30, 30, burials a day at Fort Logan Cemetery. 
so much so that all three sites, they give you 25 minutes to get in and get out because there's always another veteran's family right behind you. It's an honor to represent that hallowed ground as part of my district. I also want to uh, say that as the middle son of five sons of an Iwo Jima Marine veteran, I know my dad was 19 years old on the Battle of Iwo Jima. He came home and told us he shared a lot with us. A lot of veterans don't like to share their stories. My dad did. And what those young people went through to protect this country, to save the world from Nazism and the other Axis powers at the time, just can't be, it can't even be comprehended, let alone fully appreciated by those of us who are here today, 60 years later. More, more than 60 years, almost, good Lord, 70 some. I uh, would like also to point out former council member Chris Herndon in the back, an army veteran, Iraq, how many years? I, I would want to ask him, was that uh, more or less difficult than the 12 years you spent here on the dais? <laughs> but uh, I, I'll refrain. But I just want to thank our veterans, and I wish that we would all thank the veterans in our families. Take the time to thank them for their service. What they went through cannot be imagined without going through it yourself. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Uh, Councilwoman Alvidres. Thank you, Council President. Um, I want to thank Councilman Watson and Councilman Flynn for putting together this beautiful proclamation. Um, I do think our veterans go underthanked often, and I'm so grateful to their service. Um, the reason I'm in Denver is because my grandmother was in the Air Force, and so I remember her and her bravery in adopting her younger siblings and moving here, a bunch of young girls, um, and that was the first time they ever had health care. Um, I also think back to, well, I have quite a few relatives that have served in the military, which is something that makes me very proud. Um, but I also reflect on a lot of young men, especially that I went to high school with, um, that I was, that went to war and who are still not the same. And I hope that we carry our veterans in our hearts as we make these decisions. And I'm very proud that we have, um, some affordable housing specifically for veterans and disabled veterans in my district that, sh that should be complete very soon um, and find more ways that we can give back to those who have kept us safe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, I also wanna thank the two sponsors for bringing this forward and the Denver Municipal Band. Um, this was really a beautiful um, acknowledgement of the incredible sacrifice of our veterans. Um, I will say I have great-grandfather, two grandfathers, three uncles, a father, a stepmother, two stepbrothers that have all served um, our country in the military. I'm incredibly proud of them um, but, and incredibly grateful for all of the things that they have done for our community. Um, my stepbrother was in Iraq and he uh, is an amazing human, but there are things that he, have changed him forever that he saw while he was there. Um, and I imagine that every veteran has that same story and that same feeling. So um, I see you and I appreciate you. And I just really wanna say thank you for, for your service and for all that you've done for our community. Thank you. 
Thank you. Councilman Hines. Thank you, Council President. Uh, we are the sum of our experiences and my, my dad was in the army and my, um, uh, it's interesting, my second term, I've been way more revealing about my uh, personal life than in my first term, but uh, uh, my dream growing up was to fly to the Air Force. I was, uh, I had the grades, the SAT scores, the congressional recommendation to go to the Air Force Academy. So the better academy, sorry, Chris. Um, and uh, which actually, uh, it's interesting that it's uh, just an hour hour south from here. Um, and, and here I am. Uh, it turns out I went to the, uh, to take the military physical and I'm colorblind, uh, but so slightly colorblind, I didn't know until uh, my junior year of high school. And so really uh, changed my trajectory. But um, also in high school, I was, uh, I was in the band, including the marching band. And so the uh, second um, uh, musical feature reminded me a lot of marching band. So thank you very much for, for that as well. But um, going back to we are the sum of our experiences, uh, we, um, uh, you know, we, we are who we uh, have, be ha how we, we are who we have molded ourselves into. And uh, a lot of the reason why I, I uh, care a lot about punctuality is, uh, is because of my, um, my thought that I would be in the military. And so I'd rather be, um, you know, 10 minutes early than one minute late. And uh, so there are so many people who uh, have, um, have become uh, far better versions of themselves because of their experience in the military um, as individuals. And our country um, has, uh, has become uh, a, a changed uh, version of itself as well. Uh, to Councilmember Flynn's point, um, we, uh, you know, we helped uh, change the, the world stage and the world map um, in the, the two world wars. And, um, and so there's a lot of stuff that our veterans uh, can, uh, can be proud of and, uh, and how we've, we've really helped uh, create the, um, the, the world we're in today. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Councilwoman Romero-Campbell. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I too just want to thank uh, Councilman Watson and Councilman Flynn for bringing this proclamation forward. I think it's, you know, as the daughter of a veteran and uncles um, that are veterans as well, I, I uh, deeply appreciate the service um, that uh, they have had within our country. And I say in District 4 in Southeast Denver, we have a number of veterans um, and we are deeply appreciative of their service. Uh, I wanted to also add, I think the inspiration that tonight provides and for so many who are veterans who have gone into um, service and public service here, whether it be with our fire department, our police department, our sheriff's department, um, we are deeply grateful um, for that work as well and continuing to serve um, our community. Uh, and for the younger people who are watching, I think also see and understand um, the value and the opportunity to serve our country. So I just wanted to say thank you for bringing this forward and thank you all. Thank you, thank you so much. President. Madam Secretary, roll call. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Alvidras? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. 
Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Proclamation 17, excuse me, 1772 has been adopted. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for being here. Thanks everyone. Uh, we do have one more proclamation tonight. Councilman Watson, will you please read proclamation 23-1773. Yes, uh, Madam President, uh, proclamation number 23, and I lost the number. 1773. 23, 1772, celebrating. Three, three. 1773. There, you go, there we go. I have too many proclamations. <laughs> uh, celebrating Denver Fita family in honor of Daddy Bruce Randolph, unity at the table. Um, Thanks with giving. Whereas the Upworth uh, Foundation has continued a vital legacy uh, initiated by Daddy Bruce Randolph over 22 decades, I should say, serving as a beacon of compassion and communal care in the city and county of Denver. And whereas Elder King Harris, previous pastor of Epworth United Methodist Church, and Reverend Frank Jones, pastor of God's Will Christian Fellowship, and executive director of the Daddy Bruce Randolph Legacy Foundation remained steadfast in their commitment to perpetuate the legacy of nourishing the Denver community and beyond. And whereas the Denver Feed a Family Initiative by the Epworth Foundation has faithfully carried on the tradition of providing Thanksgiving meals to thousands of families in need, ensuring that the spirit of Thanksgiving reaches every corner of our community. And whereas inspired by Daddy Bruce, Every year, hundreds of volunteers and donors give selflessly of their time, energy, and money to carry on this Denver humanitarian tradition of providing assistance to thousands of Denver families at this annual Thanksgiving distribution and... Whereas, inspired by Daddy Bruce, every year, hundreds of volunteers and donors give selfishly of their time, energy, and money to carry on this Denver humanitarian tradition of providing assistance to households of Denver families at this annual Thanksgiving distribution. And whereas special recognition is afforded to David Ball, Vaughn Nichols, Clarence Williams, Carrie O'Connell, Pastor Jeff Kenost, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, Juanita Davenport, Taylor Green, Rose Millen, Ruby Jones, Jeff, Jerry Morgan, Alan Clark, Jesse Melson, Samora Yannick, Pete Swartz, Michael Wilson, Denise Edwards, Will, and Wilford Harris, who have each provided a decade or more of outstanding volunteer service, embodying the spirit of generosity and community support that defines the Edwards Foundation's mission. And whereas the initiative stands as an embodiment of Denver's values of unity, generosity, and inclusiveness, extending beyond the provisions of meals to foster a sense of belonging, belonging and shared joy during the holiday season. And whereas the Unity at the Table Thanks with Giving campaign represents not only the provision of food, but also the nourishment of hope, community spirit, and mutual uplift among Denver residents. And whereas the Epworth Foundation's call to nominate, 
participate and celebrate invites every citizen to play a role in weaving a tapestry of community solidarity where each person can contribute to the shared narrative of giving and gratitude. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver that the Council of the City and County of Denver recognizes the substantial contributions of the Edward Foundation and the enduring impact of Daddy Bruce's vision, which has strengthened the community fabric and exemplified the highest ideas of service and brotherhood. That the clerk of the city and county of Denver shall affix the seal of the city and county of Denver to this proclamation and that a copy be transmitted to the Edwards Foundation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and Councilman Watson, your motion to adopt? I move that proclamation 23-1773 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Um, we'll take comments by members of council. Let's start with the um, sponsors, Councilman Watson, then Lewis, and then Parity. So, so first I'll, I'll ask if we can change the order. And I wanted to say that the, the two other sponsors, Councilwoman women, um, uh, Parity and Lewis, uh, played an important role in this and have supported this organization over the years. So Councilwoman Parity, do you mind going first? I apologize. Uh, moment of personal privilege. That's good, yep. Thank you, I appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be doing this today. Um, I People may know Councilman Watson and I are basically neighbors, so I live pretty close um, to the Daddy Bruce Center every year. Um, there's a folk song I like that says the past didn't go anywhere. Um, and it's so remarkable to me to think that here we have a man, Daddy Bruce Randolph, um, who learned to cook from his formerly enslaved grandmother, Laura Hart, um, and who ultimately made his life in Denver, became a restaurateur, um, feeding people like she taught him to do, um, and who became the kind of person that made sure that everyone in the neighborhood had something to celebrate on Thanksgiving, who was with us until 1994, just 30 years ago. Um, and also to think that hundreds of community members still come together in his name every year um, to work that line and fill boxes for thousands of Thanksgiving tables around the city. While you fill the boxes, you talk, you meet people, you get to know people. Um, I love being there. I'll be there on Saturday with my daughter, and I'll make sure that she knows all of the history that's standing right there with us. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to uh, speak from a personal perspective. My family um, doesn't live too far. Grew, I grew up um, pretty close to where um, this event takes place and we were often recipients of the Daddy Bruce boxes. Um, and so it wasn't just a source of nutrition for us as kids, um, but it was also an opportunity for us to receive um, or to have that communal um, experience um, and to connect as a family and to establish those traditions um, that are often not afforded to individuals um, who are in poverty because um, they can't afford it, literally. I mean, fast forward to when I was a teen mama, um, same thing um, as I was on many of the social services that we talk about, um, Daddy Bruce often provided the tradition that I now um, share with my 20 year old um, for, th for, the, for the holidays. And so I'm, I feel like I'm forever indebted um, to the work and service. I mean, it carries that when I was teaching um, at the um, uh, two contemporary schools and I would take my students to volunteer at um, Daddy Bruce on the weekends. And so they were both recipients of the boxes, but also um, would volunteer their services um, to be able to have that blended um, time. Um, and so I'm just incredibly thankful for this kind of work and this kind of vision um, to be able to feed our families, to connect our families um, on a, a, hol a holiday where we should be um, um, sitting in gratitude, but most often um, folks can't afford to. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Council President, and I'll I'll share. Uh, Councilmember Parity, Councilwoman Parity said that we are neighbors. I live two blocks from Councilwoman Parity and one block from 
Councilwoman uh, Lewis's parents. So we are all <laughs> within blocks of each other. We um, are we can have community um, on this council, and and that's what I think of um, of Daddy Bruce. Um, I moved here to Denver in 1987 from the Virgin Islands, and um, in my early years after leaving CU and and going into the workforce, um, volunteering with my team and volunteering with my family at, at Daddy Bruce was an important thing. And it wasn't just the giving of, of baskets to community members. It was actually the convening of community and the storytelling and the building of, 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 of community presence. Um, um, Denver doesn't have a large black community if you, if you, if you didn't notice that, uh, but being at, Daddy Bruce's um, basket giving during a time of giving thanks for many folks who uh, had very little uh, monetarily to give thanks for, but had a great deal uh, as far as community to be thankful for. It gave a sense of community and that the love of the Epworth Foundation to carry on that soul, that spirit, that family through all these years. Um, I am honored along with the councilwomen who are my true neighbors who are my true community um, to put forward this proclamation and applaud you for all the ways you enrich the soul and the spirits and the stomachs of so many folks throughout Denver. So thank you to Epworth and thank you to the councilman for being the co-sponsors of this. Thank you very much. And seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidrez? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Proclamation 1773 has been adopted and we have time for proclamation acceptance. Council members will start the, oh, there's no timer. Please call up whoever you'd like to accept the proclamation. <laughs> All right, for, for 1772 for a veterans uh, proclamation, I'd like to, I'm sorry. We actually didn't get it done for 20, 1772, so let's do both. Yes. Yes. So I'd like to call um, the honorable council member, Chris Herndon, um, I also would like to call Angela Russell and then um, Michael Mitchell from Post One Foundation. Um, say a few words on the proclamation. So council member, you're first. Uh, Ms. Russell, if you don't mind coming forward as well. <laughs> Sir, and introduce yourself. Because folks don't know who you are. Chris Herndon, I live in Northeast Denver and it feels good to be here. But it also feels good to know that I'm leaving right after this. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Council Members Watson and Flynn, for doing the proclamation. As we think about our veteran community, it actually continues to shrink because our military population is getting shorter and smaller and smaller. And there are families now that don't have a connection to veterans. And if you would think decades ago, we couldn't fathom that because most people knew somebody, close relative. So I thank you for honoring them. And the truth is we need to make sure we're doing all that we can. And I love Veterans Day weekend. You get to go to the restaurants. You get to thank you for your service. But we need to think about our veterans 24-7, 365. Post-traumatic stress is real. I take off the D because it's not a disorder. Our veterans suffer from that. I have no doubt that I have scars from my time in Kosovo and Iraq. 
but we need to make sure we have our legislators who are doing all that they can to make sure that their needs are being met. Because once you serve, I say you shouldn't have to worry about a job, you shouldn't have to worry about a house, and do all that you can to make sure that they are being taken care of. We had a great display, I don't know if you knew, at Mile High Stadium a couple weekends ago as Councilmember Council Hines brought up the Air Force Academy that just happened to be undefeated up until that night because as they took on West Point, West Point defeated them 23 to three. So I just wanna bring that up as you talk about great academies, that was West Point. But in all sincerely, sincerity, thank you for doing this. Thank you for all that you do and we cannot thank enough for our veterans. So I, I appreciate the Denver City Council doing that. And once again, Godspeed, I wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you. And Ms. Russell, do you, do you mind saying a few words? First of all, um, I'd like to thank each and every one of you that um, put in effort to see that this proclamation came into fruition. Um, my passion um, is working with the veterans. I am not from here. I've only been here a year. This is my first year. And I'm trying to find my, my footing. Uh, my passion um, is I want to look for the veterans who did not receive their Purple Hearts or their gold stars. There's a lot of veterans out here who served and who went un, unacknowledged. And I would like to work with anyone who's willing to help me find those veterans and give them their due process. Now, for a lot of these veterans that didn't get them, that could have been money for their family because it comes with money. And it, um, it would have helped bridge the gap. Some veterans come out, let me say it like this. There are different categories of veterans. They put us in different categories. You have veterans that come out, they get nothing. They just come out. You have veterans that come out, they become um, status veterans. And then you have disabled veterans. I am a disabled veteran. So um, all services, excuse me, all errors are not the same. Vietnam veterans get one thing. Um, I'm a golf world veteran, we get one thing, OEF, IEF, they get more, they get, the, <laughs> they get everything. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the, uh, the Vietnam veterans said the same thing about us, but um, there's a lot of, uh, still more to do. And you will see me again because I intend to work with whoever is on here to help me um, get this goal of mine. And that's just to basically see that those veterans and their families get their due process and their awards. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Russell. And Michael Mitchell, I have you first. Hello. Um, 124 years ago, returning veterans of the Spanish-American War uh, came back from the Philippines, and they were having a hard time readjusting to civilian life. Sound familiar? So a gentleman by the name of General Irving Hale, a graduate, a graduate of East High School, got together and they wrote the organizing bylaws on the eighth floor of the Brown Palace to create Army of the Philippines, which today is known as the VFW. Denver's the home of the historic first VFW, located in District 7. We honor those veterans and that mission today as the hub of the veteran community throughout the Front Range. Colorado Veterans Project, VFW Plus One, American Legion, the list goes on. We're united by a common bond of helping our brothers and sisters. 11 years ago, I accepted our proclamation acknowledging VFW Post One, and it's my honor to accept our proclamation today. Thank you very much.
Thank you thank all you for so being much. here. And thank you, each of you, for your service. Councilman Watson, uh, please call up who you'd like to expect, accept your second proclamation. And I'll ask for the, um, the, for the, the veterans, please stick around. We're going to do a few pictures, and I'll provide you the actual proclamation. So please don't leave. Uh, so for 1773, I would like to uh, call forward, and I'm going to destroy um, the, your pronunciation of your name, but Zeamar Yannick, um, is that, it's, was, that, was that even close? Yes. Thank you, Zeamar. Do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Yomara Yannick, and I am a volunteer for the Epworth um, Foundation. So I would like to say thank you. I'm here with the pastor of Epworth United Methodist Church uh, okay. and a board member um, from the foundation as okay. well to accept this proclamation. Your words were beautiful. I too am a transient to Denver. I came here 12 years ago and my very first year here, um, somebody called me and brought me down and I have been volunteering and actually now coordinating this annual event ever since. One of the things that you stated, what's really most important about this Thanksgiving and about the distribution of the baskets is that it is community. It's not, it, Feeding is secondary. It's about coming together as people, as human beings, and be able to really share in that. What's wonderful is that when volunteers come back year after year, it's almost like a family reunion where they don't see each other until this actual event, and they connect in a way to make sure that the event happens within 24 hours so we can give the streets back to the um, community that lives there. The other thing too is just that I want everyone to also understand that the people we serve are people who are working, who are either underemployed, okay, or making it from paycheck to paycheck. So because a lot of times we have in this notion that it's either that you're um, homeless or you're destitute, but I really want you to understand that we're helping people like you and I who have jobs, who sometimes fall on hard times that just need a little ha a hand up. Our theme for the year, unity at the table, thanks with giving, is that we all come to the table. We all participate. We nominate, we participate by donating money, by donating our time, and we celebrate by showing up. So I would like to say thank you um, for the proclamation. And as we continue in the spirit of Daddy Bruce Randolph and his legacy, it's important. Um, I was kind of going around Denver just asking people, have you heard of Daddy Bruce? It surprises me because, you know, sometimes they say when you're within your own circle, you know, everybody, you feel that everybody knows because you're within your own circle. But as I started asking random people, you know, when I was going into Panera or IHOP, they don't know who he is. And I think it's important that we continue to talk about it and promote it so that way they can understand and they can be like you, that's um, two generations down, um, talking about this event and how it has helped not only you know, myself, my neighbor, and what we get out of it. So with that, I would like to say thank you. 
Um, we are really excited. This is our 21st year doing the distribution and it could not have been done without the support of the city. Thank you all so much. I know Councilman Watson and Flynn might, and our other co-sponsors might exit for a moment, uh, but we have a couple different hearings to begin. So thank you everyone for being here for the proclamations. Council is now convened as the Board of Equalization for the Phase Two Broadway Pedestrian Mall. The public hearing for Phase Two Broadway Pedestrian Mall is open, and we will have a staff report from Brendan Kelly. Good evening, City Council. Brendan Kelly Dotty. I'm just repeating what I had read before. So. Uh, tonight's Board of Equalization is for the Phase 2 Broadway Pedestrian Mall Local Maintenance District. This district is located in the Baker, Spear, and Washington Park West neighborhoods, is within Council District 7, and is generally along both sides of North and South Broadway, <clears throat> between 2nd Avenue and Bayad, and along both sides of South Broadway between um, West Alameda Avenue and Center Avenue and along both sides of West Alameda Avenue from South Broadway to Cherokee Street. Through a successful petition and legislative process, this district was created in 1993. The primary local public improvements that were installed included trees, low planted landscaped areas, irrigation, decorative brick sidewalk and grates at tree wells, streetscape furniture and trash receptacles. From the city charter and the revised municipal code, the purpose of local maintenance districts can be summed up as existing for the continuing care, operation, security, repair, maintenance, and replacement of local public improvements. Any such local maintenance district shall have a board of five members, one of which is the manager of Dottie or his designee, which for this district is me. From the revised municipal code, the board shall have the right, power, authority, duty and obligation to determine annually the total or proportionate annual cost to be assessed for the continuing care, operations, security, repair, maintenance, and replacement of the pedestrian and or transit mall. The Board of Equalization notice from Dottie dated November 3rd, 2023, and sent to council includes one protest letter containing complaints and objections received by Dottie in response to the district's notice of proposed 2024 assessment. Council sitting as Board of Equalization shall hear and determine all written complaints and objections filed with the manager and may confirm the assessments proposed or make any modifications which may seem equitable and just. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brendan. Uh, we have, um, we do have one speaker for this, um, uh, for this hearing. Uh, Robert Bailey, come on up. I know the airport people are tracking me down. I have evidence on that. I would like to talk about the bus lanes on South Broadway. First of all, I would like to say that I would never want to take away a ride for a person who needs a ride, quite the opposite. I think we should provide more door-to-door -door service 
We need to expect RTD to fix so many problems, starting with being honest. Most of the buses are mostly empty most of the time. We all know this. Most of the RTD passengers went away for the same reason that most of the taxis went away, the internet and the connectivity provided by the internet. The taxis went away many years ago. The RTD just keeps going forward as though it's going to get bigger. Uh, we're not gonna have some sort of dystopic mass transit society. It'll go just the opposite direction, I guarantee you. It'll go the way of the smartphone. We'll all have a little electric vehicle and we'll zip around. All you need to do is survey anybody getting off that bus and they'll agree with you on this. Uh, Denver's partnership with RTD needs serious reform. The bus lanes on South Broadway most certainly do not reduce air pollution. That's a lie. So easy to prove this. The bus lanes back up traffic and increase air pollution. They increase disorientation and accidents on the road. This is one of the reasons we're seeing more deaths on the road. I, uh, I saw a car run into one of those concrete things they put right in the middle of Broadway, the concrete structures, and then overreact and swerve and hit a car. Uh, this is happening more and more. People don't know on these bus lanes when to turn, when to turn to turn, and uh, they, uh, they are not relieving traffic. If you count all the people in all the buses on the bus lane, it'll be about a quarter of all the other traffic lanes, about a quarter. In other words, if every person on that bus had their very own vehicle, that lane would have 25% the traffic as the other lanes. You have Broadway so messed up. Are you trying to do to Broadway what you did to downtown? Because all your bus lanes and all this, this maze of disorientation, and I've lived in Denver since I was 21. It's a mess. You guys are making a mess and you're trying to do that to Broadway. How about we don't do that? How about we realize these buses are going away, no one wants a dystopic future of mass transit. It ain't gonna work. Besides that, we're gonna all have a little electric car, solves the first mile, solves the last mile, and that's exactly what's gonna happen. So waste as many billions of dollars as you want to redo the road so we can all redo them again in 10 years from now when everybody's zipping around. It'll be just like your iPhone, I guarantee it. Thank you so much, appreciate it. Thank you. Um, that was our last speaker. Um, do my co uh, colleagues have a motion to offer on uh, on today's, uh, excuse me, today's hearing, today's item? Okay, seeing none, the assessment is approved. The Board of Equalization will recess and we will reconvene as city council. Thank you, Brendan. Council is now reconvened. Council will resume its, its regular session. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Council Bill 23-1632 on the floor for publication? Yes. <laughs> I move that Council Bill 1632 be ordered published. Thank you. I move that Council Bill 1632 be ordered published. Very good, okay. It is moved and seconded. Any comments from members of council? Thank you. And just a reminder, this is the one we postponed from uh, the 3.30 session. Seeing none, Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Bill 23-1632. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvitres. Flynn. 
Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Council Bill 1507 has been um, ordered published. Uh, we have two hearings tonight, and um, for those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually, when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you are promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one in your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by telling council your name and city of residence, and if you feel comfortable doing so, your home address. If you've signed up to answer questions only, please state your name and note you are available for questions of council. Speakers will have three minutes. There's no yielding of time. If translation is needed, you'll be given an additional three minutes for your comments to be interpreted. Speakers should stay on the topic of the hearing and direct your comments to council as a whole. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech and refrain from individual or personal attacks. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Bill 23-1364 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1364 be placed upon final consideration and due pass. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1364 is open. May we have the staff report? Hi. Uh, my name is Joe Green. I'm with Community Planning and Development. Mm -hmm. Yay, Joe, do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a rezoning that we're looking at at 1021 North Monroe Street, going from USUB to USUB1. Joe, if I can ask you to speak up a little louder, that'd yes, be great. Sure. Thank you. Uh, we will walk through the request, the location and context, the process, and the review criteria. So first the request, they're requesting to go from a single unit urban district with a minimum lot size of 4,500 square feet to a single unit district in the urban context with a 4,500 square foot minimum lot size and an accessory dwelling unit. Um, the location and context, it is in council district 10 in council member Hines district. Uh, in the Congress Park neighborhood. The existing zoning currently is USUB, as I said, and it's predominantly surrounded by USUB, though there is some UTUC block to the north. Uh, the existing land use is single unit residential. It is adjacent to a two unit residential building, uh, but predominantly throughout the neighborhood is single unit residential. The existing building form and scale is predominantly one to two story buildings. While there are some two unit uh, buildings mixed into the neighborhood, it is predominantly single unit buildings. For the process, we sent out informational notices in July. We had our planning board notice at the beginning of September and held the planning board public hearing on September 20th. Uh, we then went to the Moody Committee, the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee in early October. And then today we're at our public hearing here. Um, there are a number of RNOs or registered neighborhood organizations in, uh, associated with the property. We had no comments from any of them. We do have two comments from neighbors and other stakeholders. Uh, one, four, which just noted that uh, ADUs could 
provide affordable housing in the neighborhood and wanted to see more. Um, and then one against who was concerned about short-term rentals and just kind of the overall impact of ADUs on the neighborhood. Um, the planning board hearing was held on September 20th and they voted unanimously for approval to recommend approval. Uh, so then we'll walk through the review criteria. So these, as you all know, are the five criteria from the Denver Zoning Code uh, that we use to review rezonings. The first one is consistency with adopted plans. We'll walk through each of them in turn. There are three plans that um, influence this property. There's Comprehensive Plan 2040, Blueprint Denver, and then the East Central Neighborhood Plan. The first two are citywide plans, and the last is more specific to this geography. Um, so jumping straight into Blueprint Denver, there are three maps that we generally look at um, when looking at rezonings. The first is the neighborhood context, which in this case is urban. So for the most part, this area has a strong block pattern with a mix of alleys and kind of a regular street grid. And there are kind of small multi-unit residential and mixed use areas embedded within these one and two unit areas. The next map is the future place. In this case, it is low residential. Um, so it's predominantly single and two unit uses but it very clearly states that accessory dwelling units can be integrated where they can be thoughtfully, or can be integrated where they're compatible. And then the last map is the growth strategy for the city. Um, in this case, it's designated as all other areas of the city um, where we see 20% of new housing growth is expected and accessory dwelling units can contribute to this 20% of housing. Finally, Blueprint Denver calls uh, specifically for accessory dwelling units as a way to diversify housing choice through all out all neighborhoods and all residential areas. And the East Central Neighborhood Plan uh, picks up on this strategy and seeks to implement uh, that by allowing ADUs on all residential forms, including duplex and row house. As for criteria two and three, it, this rezoning will result in the uniformity of district regulations in the USU B1 district, and it will further the public health, safety, and welfare of the city uh, by implementing adopted plans. The justifying circumstance in this case is a changed or changing condition, which would be the adoption of those two plans, Blueprint Denver and the East Central Neighborhood Plan since the 2010 zoning code was adopted. Finally, it is consistent with the neighborhood context, zone district purpose, and intent found in the Denver Zoning Code for USUB1. CPD recommends approval based on all finding, based on finding all the review criteria are met. I'm available for questions and the applicant is online if you have questions for them. What's their name? Uh, Murdoch Kalehi. Murdoch, okay. Um, thank you very much. We have two individuals signed up to speak this evening. Um, if you're here in person, if your name's called, please make your way to the front bench. We'll start with Kevin Matthews. Good evening. My name is Kevin Matthews. I'm a lead with UMB Denver. And additionally, the applicant is my next door neighbor. His proposed ADU is on the opposite side of the alley from my backyard and will be looking directly into my backyard. So while this is not the first testimony I've given for an ADU, it is literally the yes, the most yes in my backyard that I've ever been. 
Um, I first heard about this from Murdoch and Megan this past Easter. They were at my house and they first mentioned it to some friends of mine, kind of feeling them out. It seemed like they were a little bit nervous to mention this to me. They, they didn't know how I would react. Um, this is before they knew about my moon landing activities. Um, when I told them what I will tell you now is that it shouldn't really matter what my feelings are. Um, it also shouldn't matter that the reason they wanna build this ADU, while it is for incredibly noble reasons, that should also not matter. The idea that my neighbor needs my permission to do something quite reasonable with this property, the, um, the expectation that when I bought my home, everything in my neighborhood would stay exactly as it was for all time. It's not just an outdated idea, but it is also incredibly damaging and is directly related to our exponentially increasing land values and the rents and the economic displacement that many of our fellow citizens have experienced. Research shows it is dire directly related to the growing number of people who now live on our streets. And it is directly related to all your efforts recently to find additional money in this year's city budget for rental assistance so that even more people are not evicted from their homes. Nice job on that, by the way. One ADU or even 100 ADUs is not going to solve the housing crisis because of course no one thing will. But when it comes to our housing crisis, it's truly a death by a thousand cuts. As I talked to Murdoch about the process he has gone through and as I skimmed through the 27 page staff report for the single rezoning of this one ADU, I wondered about how many hours city staff has spent on this one thing and the staff resources that were used as this rezoning application was reviewed by almost a dozen city agencies. And, and this, again, the staff noted for what must be, feel like a thousand times that this, yes, this rezoning meets the guidance of Denver Comprehensive Plan 2040, meets the uh, Blueprint Denver, and meets the guidance of the East Central Area Plan. Since Blueprint Denver was passed, there hasn't been a single vote of this council against an ADU applicant. In fact, I believe there hasn't been a single no vote against an application for an ADU since Blueprint. You all have some really important work to do, including the Mayor's House 1000 initiative. I hope you really don't want to keep doing these rezonings that are a waste of staff time and resources, not to mention your own time, when we all know that these are going to pass. Is, there, is this really how you want to spend your time? It really is past time to allow ADUs by right across the city with an objective standards that citizens know how to quickly and easily meet. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, we do have the applicant in the panel. Um, Murdoch, did you want to offer any comment? Uh, no. I mean, if people were curious why we're doing this, my wife and I are foster parents for refugee kids, and we've just run out of space, um, so we need to build more. That's all. Thank you very much. We'll keep you in the panel in case anyone has questions. Our next speaker in um, on Zoom is Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members of council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse LaShawn Parrish, and I represent for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the East Denver Residence Council, or Northeast Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Chewbacca's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda. And I reside in Dontel Lewis's district of District 8, at the Roach, Bedbug, and Mice Infested Fusion Studios. Um, I agree with the previous uh, speaker. Um, we need to be uh, prioritizing other things besides ADUs. I mean, they, they should be allowed 
period across the board. It shouldn't have to require uh, city council approval. Um, like I said, at the last hearing, uh, we had an ADU. Um, the, the main concern is that these ADUs are being used to start touring rentals, and there's no data that's uh, being kept on what these uh, ADUs are being used for. Um, I'm in support of this ADU uh, request, however. He said he's taking care of refugee children, and that's the need for it. So I don't see no problem with that. The problem is that there's no record being kept of what the previous ADU rezonings have been used for. There's no, nobody's following up on that. There's no record of that. So in the future, I, I would hope that we would uh, be able to put those mechanisms in place. So uh, the concerns of the community that these are being used as short-term rentals and Airbnbs is, is fully addressed. Well, with that all being said, I'm in uh, full support of this. Thank you. Thank you very much. That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from council on bill 1364? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilman Hines. Thank you, Council President. Uh, Mr. Massey, thank you so much for your testimony. I agree with just about everything you said. Well, I, I, don't, I can't think of anything that I don't agree with with what you said. Um, I will share with you that we, uh, as council, had a joint meeting with the planning board last week, and I did bring up the idea of uh, legalizing ADUs uh, citywide. And um, I, I don't know anyone who disagreed. Um, and uh, we also talked about the idea of how we, um, uh, each time we consider uh, ADUs, we say yes. And there was only one time we said no, and it was uh, basically a formality um, as a, a technicality is, is why we said no. So um, you're right, this takes up a lot of staff time. It takes up uh, council time and it is, um, uh, it is an interesting conversation about private property rights as opposed to the owner of a property that wants to do something on their property and then uh, owners of adjacent property. And um, uh, it is also a conversation about um, we're in a housing crisis. And this was one of the big topics of my candidacy in 2019 um, about how I was going to rezone every neighborhood to 50 plus story buildings um, that doesn't make sense for, <clears throat> excuse me, that doesn't make sense for Congress Park. Um, uh, the majority of uh, buildings in Congress Park or homes in Congress Park were built before 1940, which is the first, uh, the oldest cutoff uh, for metrics that we use uh, to measure ages of homes in our, uh, in our city. And I think it's 54% of the homes in Congress Park were built before uh, 1940. And it doesn't really make sense for us to build 50 plus story buildings there, but we should all do our part for the housing crisis. And that um, totally, it makes sense to have ADUs in, in Congress Park. Uh, the other thing that I mentioned uh, at the meeting with planning board last week was um, uh, the, the idea of creating templates or you know custom designs for, uh, uh, for ADUs. And if someone decided to, um, you know, build an ADU with one of those templates. All they all all they needed to do is just move forward, and uh, someone at the end verify that uh, uh, that someone used one of those pre-approved designs. Maybe pre-approved design is better than template, but you get the idea. Um, at, at any rate, uh, I'm excited to see that we have one more uh, ADU that will be uh, accepted here, assuming my colleagues vote uh, along with me. Uh, 
I, I will say one last thing. There was uh, uh, someone who wrote in with some concerns about uh, short-term rentals. Um, the way the law works here in the city of Denver is a bit more conservative than some cities. Uh, the short-term rental, um, if someone does want to have a short-term rental in their city, or excuse me, in their, uh, in their home, uh, they have to occupy, they actually have to own or occupy um, either the main habitation or the ADU, and then can use the other as a short-term rental. But, um, but that significantly limits the, the inventory for short-term rentals uh, in our city, as in uh, if someone has to own or occupy, then uh, that means that they can have at most one, uh, any particular owner can have at most one ADU in the city of Denver. So um, that has been a reasonable safeguard uh, to make sure that our short-term rentals don't uh, unduly proliferate in our city. Um, and I think that's a reasonable compromise. So uh, thank you for, um, uh, for the comment about the concerns about short-term rentals. Uh, this, uh, uh, the way Denver's rules work or Denver's ordinances work uh, means that it won't be um, an undue burden for the, for the city. So uh, I'll be in support of uh, this ADU rezoning. I believe it meets all the criteria and I encourage my colleagues to vote yes as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call on Council Bill 23-1364. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidez. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Council Bill 23-1364 has passed. Thank you very much. Uh, onto our courtesy public hearing. Councilwoman Lewis, will you please put Council Resolution 23-1776 on the floor for adoption? I move that Council Resolution 23-1776 be adopted. Thank you. And that's been moved and seconded. The 30-minute courtesy public hearing for Council Resolution 23-1776 is open, and we do have uh, Cole Chandler, Senior Advisor for Homelessness Resolution, uh, with us to provide a quick overview. Good evening, Council Members. I'm Cole Chandler, Mayor Johnson, Senior Advisor on Homelessness Resolution. Um, so we have brought these emergency requests forward to you multiple times over the last several months, and as I was thinking tonight, I was thinking back to July 18th, um, downstairs in the bottom of the foyer when we all stood together and the mayor announced this emergency declaration at the outset. That day, we didn't know exactly what was in store ahead of us, um, but the mayor set a bold goal to bring a thousand people indoors by the end of this year. Um, and we came before you month after month, we came to you in council briefings and, co and conversations to talk about what would the plan be? What would it look like over the course of the next several months? And so we laid out a plan to deploy an encampment resolution program and to um, bring forward hotels in the pipeline and to scale micro community models and to leverage existing housing resources all towards the goal to bring a thousand people indoors, all because we felt like we didn't have to live in a city where 1,500 people 
lived on the streets every night. And we all agree with that, and we've all um, worked in various ways towards the goal to bring people indoors. I'm here tonight because we've made progress towards this goal, and I want to report on a bit of that progress, some of what we're proud of. Um, we're proud that over the last several months, we have already pieced together about 800 units into the pipeline um, that we're going to be bringing online. We're proud um, that through partnership from the state, uh, we've been able to galvanize about $27 million in new resources that because of this emergency declaration, because of the work of the Department of Housing Stability, we've been able to bring that um, into the city of Denver to deploy towards these efforts. And we're proud that as of today, 225 people have come indoors off the streets and out of encampments through these efforts. Prior to um, our administration um, moving into office on July 17th, the city of Denver had never before closed an encampment through housing options, hotel options, sheltering options, micro community options. We had never done that for years. Advocates, I was an advocate once before I was in this role. Advocates were on the streets saying, why are we moving people along? Where do we have people to move along to? Mm -hmm. We were never able to link an encampment closure to back-end housing resources. We've done that twice now. We'll do it for the third time this week. Uh, end of last week, I was in LA. And LA, uh, Mayor Karen Bass, on her first day in office, much like Mayor Mike Johnson, declared a state of emergency on homelessness. She's wrapping up her first year in office right now. Last week, they completed their 30th encampment resolution and successfully moved their 2,000th person indoors. That's incredible progress, but they're doing that in a city where there's 30,000 people that are unsheltered. We're creating a pathway to that, to bringing 1,000 people indoors by the end of the first six months in a city where there's only 1,500 people sleeping on the streets. We don't have to live in a city where 1,500 people sleep on the streets, and we brought forward a plan um, to reduce that dramatically. And I'm so grateful to all of you for the support. And I know there's been hard conversations along the way, but I want you to know that we're committed to continuing to have those conversations with you. We're continuing, we're committed to continuing to work towards solutions. And ultimately we're committed to continuing to deliver a better Denver for our unhoused residents and our house residents alike. And so I thank you for the ways that you've supported this progress to date. We anticipate that this is our last request for this emergency declaration. We do not anticipate extending it beyond December 1st. And so we ask that you join with us tonight and provide your support for this so that over the next seven weeks, there's 49 days left in this year, that over the next seven weeks, we can work together arm in arm to bring another 775 people indoors. So thank you. Thank you, Cole. Um, we have 13 individuals signed up to speak this evening and we will start online with Jill Osa. Good evening, City Council. My name is Jill Osa, and I own a single-family home that shares a property line with the now-removed micro-community site on Yale Avenue. I humbly ask you to vote no on the emergency declaration this evening. The emergency declaration against homelessness in Denver has raised concerns and sparked debate about its effectiveness and the impact it has on homeless populations and the community at large. While addressing homelessness is a critical issue, there are valid arguments for ending the emergency declaration and focusing on more sustainable and comprehensive solutions. 
The current approach is counterproductive because we are moving too fast. The micro communities are being put anywhere that's available, regardless of if they met the mayor's own criteria. The Yale and Birch sites did not meet the criteria listed in the mayor's letter to private landowners. At no point has the mayor has the mayor's office shared their criteria for publicly owned land and has intended to proceed under the guise of legal confidentiality between brokered deals. The criteria for publicly held land should not be any different than privately held land. The Santa Fe site also has adjacent single family homes, which disqualifies the land in the mayor's call to private landowners. The emergency declaration lacks long-term solutions. At this point, the mayor is struggling to find land to put micro-communities on. What happens in four years when the micro-communities are required to move? Do we forfeit the money spent on micro-communities and move on to a different solution? Or do we actually spend time investing in permanent long-term housing solutions to make a real impact? Due to the emergency declaration, the zoning and permitting standards are able to be suspended, therefore not taking into account the impact the micro-communities have on adjacent properties. There has been a lack of transparency in the implementation of the House 1000 initiative. We have had countless denied and incomplete core requests or been told our core requests would cost hundreds if not thousands of dollars. We urge this body to ask for transparency within the mayor's office and share the selection process, criteria, and vetting process. If this body is planning to vote yes tonight, I urge you to reconsider. Allow the residential areas to have a voice and let their voices be heard. And let's together invest in longer term solutions. Thank you. Thank you. Also joining via Zoom is our next speaker, John Ramirez. Thank you, Council. So too much money, I believe, is being used to fund an ever-growing problem in our community, which has been um, Drug addiction, housing is great in theory, but unless heavily monitored, um, will fail. Um, I'm against extending the emergency order. Uh, last year, or when um, Hancock was in, when Hancock was mayor, eight million was spent on homelessness per year for um, when he was in twelve for twelve years, and now we're spending nearly half a billion and things have gotten significantly worse. Um, I'm just not interested in extending the emergency order. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll come back to Chambers for Tamara and Bethel. Are they on Zoom? No, okay. Back to Zoom uh, for Jesse Paris. Yes, good evening, members of council, those watching at home, those in the council chambers. My name is Jesse LaShawn Paris, and I represent for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the Northeast Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Chewbacca's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda, and I reside in District 8, Chantel Lewis's district of District 8 at the Roach, Bedbug, and Mice-Infested Fusion Studios that is owned by CCH. Um, as far as this declaration, it sounds good on paper. It really did sound good on paper. Um, having ran against Mike Johnson and like 20 other people that were put up against me uh, in the mayor's race, um, I literally had a plan to house people. 
that plan was stolen and co-opted by several uh, candidates, including Mike Johnson. Um, so basically, their whole plan was stolen from me. So why they're having a hard time implementing it, those watching at home and those in the council chambers, because it's a stolen idea, it's a stolen plan, just like unhoused neighbors was a stolen uh, term and terminology, same thing applies with this plan. So there was really no plan to begin with, um, with the Johnson administration. They just were saying whatever they thought would get them elected. And it works. Y'all got bamboozled and hoodwinked. I don't want to hear any remo uh, uh, voter remorse because this is what y'all chose. So with that being said, if Johnson wants to actually get on a good footing with this, he would hire me and my lady, Brandy Majors, to head host or whatever housing departments, instead of putting Cole Chandler in charge of it, because Cole Chandler has no idea what he's talking about. Coach Chandler is literally a gentri gentrifying yuppie who came from parts unknown and then tried to infiltrate the unhoused uh, advocate community, of which I belong to. As you can see, my shirt says Rights, Dignity, and Housing. I'm one of the founding members of Denver Homeless Out Loud, now House Keys Action Network. So I've been doing this for a decade. So... When he came in, he didn't know what was going on. He tried to co-opt what we had going on. And just like the city co-opted the tiny home villages and the safe outdoor camps, the same thing applies with this plan. And this is why it's not being implemented. And he's not going to be able to get it done by the end of the year because it's not his plan. So I would ask you to vote no on this. Because remember in 2019, y'all said that we can do better. And Initiative 300 wasn't the answer. Ain't none of y'all talking about repealing the urban camper ban. Ain't none of y'all talking about providing more permanent supportive uh, housing in the city. Ain't none of y'all talking about housing uh, our actual citizens here. So, yeah, until y'all get y'all priorities straight, vote no on this. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Brandy Majors. While we're waiting for Brandy, let's go to Chris Stifler. Uh, hello, thank you for letting me speak. My name is uh, Chris Stifler. I live in the uh, Overland neighborhood in Denver. Uh, I just want to point out that there are several, uh, I want to point out a no vote against emergency declaration and point out several things where I feel like I've been slapped in the face as an Overland resident. Uh, I chose Overland because I didn't want to deal with the crime and homelessness problem downtown, so I chose to commute from the Overland neighborhood, and now you're exporting all that down into our neighborhood. I personally tried to do an extension on my house, and I'm uh, next to the Platte River in a floodplain, and it's been impossible to try to do the zoning uh, improvements on my home as a, as, a, as a person that I've stalled. It took months and months to try to do, and now you're doing the emergency declaration and, and ramming through this uh, zoning thing in our neighborhood. I don't think that's fair. I think that's a slap in the face. I think it's personally a slap in the face to say you can't put these sites near, next to schools and then put them in neighborhoods like ours, uh, conspicuously saying that's un unsafe to be next to a school, but then putting it in our neighborhood. Um, I also think it's a slap in the face to put us fees, fee us higher with higher sidewalk fees, with higher trash fees, higher property taxes, and then put that in our neighborhood that's going to depreciate our home values and make our uh, neighborhood unsafe. And the biggest slap in the face, I think, is the Nick sites that were nixed recently. If you look at the site near University Hills on Yale or the site on Bannock, 
both if you look at the median household income of those neighborhoods, it's twice as the high as as Overland. Median household income in Overland is sixty six thousand dollars. Median household income in the Nick's site over at University Hills is one hundred and thirty four thousand dollars. So you're nixing sites in wealthy areas to put more people in our in our lower income Overland neighborhood. If you look at the racial equity component of this of our neighborhood, we're 42% Latino Hispanic neighborhood, whereas the Nick sites on Bannock and the Nick site on Yale near University Hills are 21% Latino and Hispanic. So I think this is a huge problem from a racial equity uh, component as well. And I thank you for letting me speak at, at your meeting tonight. Thank you very much. We'll go back to Brandy Majors. Yes, um, I'm sorry about that, Council. Um, <clears throat> thank you for having me. Uh, Brandy Marie Majors. Um, I just got like five little quick points. All right. Um, for eight years, uh, y'all couldn't house 1,500 people. Now you got 1,500 people plus 20-something thousand homeless migrants on top of that. Okay? So, of course, it's not going to work. Um, this this 1,000 um, was real ambitious, but he didn't have a plan. We know that for a fact. He didn't have a plan. It, it was... it. it you can't have a plan without a the people that that you know created the plan to house all these people with realistic tangible options right that were actually viable you can't have that you you can't just be throwing out plans and thinking it's going to work and putting all kinds of uh, micro communities overpopulating other areas that obviously don't want these people there you know it's it's a real it's a real serious situation um, plus, you got half of the old administration still on this new administration, i.e. example, Cole Chandler, right? Um, all these programs that you're still funding, they're no good. Then none of them have been good. CCH, I've been saying that. That shit needed to be, excuse me, that needed to be scrapped. I apologize. I mean, guys. Um, well, I'm glad that he finally seen the, you know, he's come to the realization that, you know, he's not going to reach his thousand goal. We knew, we, we've been saying that. Um, I want to address the narrative of addiction and mental health, okay? Um, it's propaganda to being unhoused. Poverty and loss causes homelessness. Mental health collapse is due to shaming and criminalization for lack, for lack of resources and lack thereof, okay? And addiction comes from, it comes from those things where trying to keep yourself awake and safe all night long and having to keep moving around because you can't fall asleep anywhere. You can't cover yourself with a blanket or a tarp. So you constantly have to be moving around, shifting from place to place to place. And we all know that. I can speak from experience because I've lived through the most of that campy band, through the still in campy band, on the streets of Five Points in the east side. Okay? On the streets. It's, it's documented. So I can speak to why this happens. So keep addressing mental health and addiction. It's just propaganda for the fact that you can't, you know, address the real serious root causes that you cause the people to be homeless. You defrauded the people. You cheated the people, and that's why they're homeless, right? And now you can't give an adequate living, workable wage to them. And now you want to blame them and criminalize them and keep shuffling them around. And that's terrible, so shame on you. Um, I, also want to, I also want to say one last tiny little thing. The Capitol Building... Um, to post uh, protect uh, putting up posts to protect post pro protesters that's a lie you just don't want to face the people and you don't want the people in your face when you're messing with them and when you keep doing wrong to them like benign neglect that's why you want to put these posts up it's not for the safety of the people thank you Brandy. So you don't have to see them thank you thank Brandy. You. that's your time 
Um, our, our next speaker signed up is Helen Orr. While we're getting you uh, moved into the panel, we're gonna go to Rebecca Greek. Hi, hopefully you all can hear me okay. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, my name is Rebecca Greek. I am a neighborhood neighbor uh, bleh, in the Overland neighborhood. Um, I'm here today to speak, to ask um, that the council considers voting yes to continue to support um, the local disaster emergency pertaining to unsheltered residents. Um, I think as a community, we can't complain about the problem and not try to find solutions. Um, as others have spoken, I think I don't need to repeat that the problem continues to grow in our city. Um, businesses are having um, issues maintaining their clientele. Residents have already expressed all their concerns of safety around homelessness. Um, what I do think is important about this emergency declaration is that it allows for a faster response and action on the issue. It creates a priority on this issue and it provides resources from both money and staff to work to solve this problem. Um, you know, I do agree with a lot of what people have said today against this um, emergency action, um, but I think a lot of that is coming from places of, we've heard people are not opposed to helping solve this problem. It's just that the voices of our community have not been heard. Um, we've it's all happened very fast, which is the great thing about emergency action, but um, it's coming at the expense of a lot of concerns in our neighborhood and a lot of people that don't feel like they've been heard. Um, so as I am asking you to support uh, this emergency declaration, it sounds like we just heard from Mr. Chandler that this is probably the last time they're gonna ask for this extension. I think if we can continue to support this, and at the same time, when you look to make votes um, in the future on the site in Overland, I would ask that you all please take care and in listening to what our community's concerns are. I'm not gonna repeat them all. Um, and I don't wanna take up any more of your time. Um, so I appreciate you listening to myself and all the other neighbors in my community and throughout the city today. Um, and I would just ask that you know, you do everything else you can to hold the mayor and this team accountable to what they're trying to do to help. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Estancia Montoya. To talk to you guys about just not supporting what the mayor is asking for. I know um, Cole is saying that there's all these great um, statistics that he has, but there's a lot of things that are not good. And again, me working there, it was not safe for me to work in that environment. It was not safe for residents in that environment, and it isn't safe for the community. So I don't see where there's any um, positiveness of this. This is the, This plan is not the correct plan. The correct plan is to get to the root. And if any of you guys have dealt or had any family members or anything that have addictions or mental illness, that is the root of what we need to do. If you truly wanna clean up this city and help, then vote no against that and let's let the mayor go back to the drawing board and have him figure out another way to actually cure the homeless, which is not them without a home, it's the mental illness that they need to get the proper help for. And these third party service providers are not trained to do that. I was not trained. I was left there untrained with so many mental illness and I did not know how to help them or how to deal with them, except for to call 911 and have an officer come in, escort them out. So again, I'm letting you guys know that 
I wouldn't want to live in one of these. And if I was homeless and I was depressed, my mental health would go down. It would not go up by throwing me in a shack where I would have to run in the cold to go to the bathroom and to go to take a shower. Like if we're gonna, these aren't tiny homes, these are tiny shacks. Let's make a real home and build homes with a kitchen and a bathroom so that their mental health can go up and make sure that they're getting the actual care that they need. That's what the state of emergency needs to be again, is state emergency on mental health and addiction. If you spent the money, all the money that you guys are spending on these little houses, you could cure so many people and we could have so many more citizens that would be productive to this um, society. So again, I'm asking you all, if you guys couldn't answer yes to my questions earlier, like you would feel safe being in one of these, would you feel safe walking in one of these right now? I doubt you would because I asked the mayor, I told him about my experience, he offered me in front of the town hall, in front of everyone. He would personally take me out to see this, um, these toward the one on 40th street. That was in August, he promised me. It is now November. I have not got that tour, and they had told me that I could not get the tour because of certain incidents that happened in the, that, um, in that um, tiny home community. The thing is, is there's dangers there, and that's what we need to be um, protecting, is making sure that people are safe, the residents, the community, and the staff. And that's why I'm asking you again, please do not support what the mayor is asking for an extension. We need to go back to the drawing board and come up with another plan. It's okay to start over. And I don't understand why the mayor is not okay with admitting that his plan is wrong and we need to go back to the drawing board. Thank you. Our next speaker is Maria Alicia. Hi, good evening. My name is Maria Alicia. And pardon me, I am uh, visually impaired. So just give me one moment. It's a little difficult for me to read my statement. Um, I'd like to read something to you from the Denver Zoning Code. It is 11.11.17. Um, .11 3H. Use permit application and review. Following the required community information meeting and submittal of a complete zoning permit application, the zoning administrator shall review the application according to the procedures in section 12.4.1 zoning permit review. Please note this last sentence. In making the final decision, the zoning administrator may consider the following. Two items appear after that. I'd like the, you to consider rephrasing the sentence to read. In making a final decision, the zoning administrator will be required to consider the following. Number one, relevant stakeholder comments and applicant comments documented during the community information meeting. And number two, whether the, pro the proposal will interfere with the reasonable use and enjoyment of an adjacent conforming properties. Please consider again, changing the word may in the last sentence, first paragraph, the word may consider 
to will be required to consider the following. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Marilyn Ackerman. My name is Marilyn Ackerman. I'm a member of Montview Boulevard Presbyterian Church as a faith person, person of faith. And I represent my colleagues with Together Colorado. You've heard us here before. I'm not going to read our public visions safety statement, um, but I wanna reference that because I live in district, council district eight, Councilwoman uh, Lewis's district. And um, I really wanna thank all of you for voting unanimously on extending the emergency rental assistance. And that's connected to this very important um, uh, extension of this uh, emergency situation we have with our unhoused. And I am here in support of, the, of extending the emergency order um, because I think everyone that lives in this great city should have the opportunity to live safely. A lot of my neighbors in Central Park are concerned about how many unhoused are maybe using their front porch or their backyard or having fires on Smith Road. And my response to that is we have, we have um, decided as a city that we're gonna have five, five ho hotels in representative, in representative Councilwoman uh, Lewis's district and my neighborhood to work with the unhoused and have wraparound services. I'm one of those weirdos in my neighborhood who's proud of this. This is a solution. Five is a lot. That doesn't count our shelters. That doesn't count the, count the safe outdoor spaces. I want all of your districts, all of you to step up and take, take some of this because 1,500 people is a lot of people. And I don't want people living, this is winter coming on. I don't want them living in people's backyards or on their porches. And yet I want them, they are our siblings, our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents. I've worked with the unhoused women at my church. People fall into this for all kinds of reasons, many medical problems, many medical problems for their family members or their mental health problems for their family members. This could happen to you, this could happen to me. And instead my neighbors are hating this. They're so fearful. I wanna live in hope. I wanna live in the present. I don't wanna live in the past. We're going, we're going to be a growing city. Let's embrace that. How do we do it with dignity and human dignity for everyone? I ask you to vote to extend this till December. Let's give this experiment a chance. Let's show the rest of the districts, not just District 8, that we're good people and we can do this. We can live this. We can practice what we preach. People are, in, are, are confusing people's fires and living in people's backyards with this is gonna be continuous. If we house people, that's the number one way we can get them into mental health services and off addictions. Thank you very much, that's your time. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Heather Barnes. Hi, good evening. Um, you heard from me earlier about my deep concern about my neighborhood in Overland. Um, what we just heard before this about the zoning on the ADU, that same process should have happened for the proposed 120 new units that um, they want coming to Overland. That didn't happen and that, and that won't happen because of the mayor's emergency declaration. 
The zoning on the CDOT land is urban overlay and not technically allowed for a temporary managed community. The Denver zoning code only allows a TMC to be located on a vacant lot where there is at least one of the intersecting streets is a collector or arterial street according to Doty. Um, the land at 2301 South Santa Fe Drive does not conform to the existing Denver zoning code for a TMC. Yet here we are. This is a clear overreach of power and a way to subvert the will of the people in the community and the Denver permitting and zoning processes. We are setting a dangerous precedent to bulldoze the taxpayers. Stand up for these constituents and vote no on extending the homeless emergency declaration. Thank you. Thank you. And our last speaker is Raquel Ann. Hi, Council. Thanks for having us here today. So I'm going to read a quote from Robin Knight, former Denver City Councilor at large before she left office regarding the micro community sites. She said to those of you who work to find all these sites, I have no idea where the next sites in the zoning text amendment might be. They are really hard to find. Our next mayoral candidates are going to have a vision for all the solutions that are going to come to bear and I hope they have an amazing set of friends with land. It's going to be hard. On August 3rd, the mayor's office posted an open letter to land and property owners who might be interested in using their property to support the House 1000 mission. One of the criteria points for that was that any site proposals not include not be directly adjacent to residences. Weeks later, the site at 5500 Yale was proposed, which belonged to Jerry Glick, who donated quite a bit of money to the mayor's campaign and whose site did not meet the criteria of not being adjacent to residences. The site was taken off the table, but another site at Santa Fe does have residences directly adjacent. Why would the criteria be different for private property owners than it is for land owned by the city? Selecting sites such as the, such as the one at 5500 Yale was not, that was not properly vetted and did not meet the initial criteria, criteria set by the mayor's office is not the only example of what this emergency declaration has allowed the mayor's office to do. This emergency declaration has also allowed the mayor's office to circumvent and avoid complying with the zoning rules and regulations pertaining to temporary managed communities, which exist to protect the property owners near the site, disregard the city's own procurement processes, avoid being transparent about how exactly the budget they have access to will be used, and allowed them to make the, de make the decision to break ground on a site before they were able to definitively determine that the radium dumped there decades before would not be a threat to public health. During the last vote on the emergency declaration, city council shared some of their concerns with us about the emergency declaration, stating that we were moving really fast and cutting corners, whether that was getting a list of locations that didn't make any logical sense during the first month of the emergency declaration or not getting detailed financial information from the mayor's office during the following vote. And these issues are continuing to compound. We also heard that the contracts were not comprehensive, the plan lacked vision, and there was concerns that we were not moving slow enough to get this right. It is true that we are moving too fast, cutting too many corners, and the mayor's office is losing trust with the very community that elected him to serve. Anything worth doing is worth doing right, and I ask you to vote no on the emergency declaration so that we can slow down and get this right. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
That concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on resolution 1776, which uh, to remind everyone is extending the declaration of a local disaster until December 31st, 2023. Councilwoman Alvidrez. Um, I don't have any questions at this time. Is, our, is this our only chance to speak? No, we'll do comment okay, after. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. Uh, Cole, I have a question for you, please. Hi, thank you. Um, the last time that we were here um, talking about the emergency declaration, I had specifically asked um, a repeat of the question that I had asked on October 3rd to have a more detailed breakdown of the four high level um, multiple millions of dollars that you were um, looking to allocate. Uh, have you sent that uh, breakdown over to council? For the question, I'm Paul Chandler, Mayor's Senior Advisor on homelessness resolution. Um, I, I appreciate the question. I know that you and I have been talking about that. We um, discussed it a few weeks back with, with the mayor. Um, at the time, I, I shared that it was something that we were working towards um, and that the reality was that it just wasn't quite ready yet because uh, the various contracts being applied to it. I want to say that we're really close. I've been working really close with the Department of Finance on getting something that we can bring forward. and I want to bring that forward to you. Um, I don't have it yet and haven't shared it with you yet. Okay, um, that's disappointing mm -hmm. um, because we've talked about it numerous times. And um, my second question is uh, around the concentration of services and people experiencing homelessness in uh, near Northeast and far Northeast in the city, which um, you know are communities of color as well. Uh, what is the rationale around purchasing the hotels uh, and are you actively looking at other hotels throughout the city currently? So great question. Um, we are actively looking at hotels all across the city. We're actively looking at um, pieces of land all across the city, some of which we haven't yet brought forward because we're not able to discuss those yet. Um, but we're looking at sites all across the city. Um, in terms of the hotel acquisitions that have taken place or are underway in Council District 8 in particular, many of those have been in the works for a very long time. You know that the former stay-in property at 12033 East 38th Avenue, I believe I saw the first in Bright article on that in June of 2021, right? So that's been in, in the works for a long time. We helped close the acquisition on that when we um, came into office, um, the Best Western property also was in the acquisition process. <clears throat> and then when we stepped in, we were able to help move forward the double tree acquisition as well um, at 4040 Quebec. And so there is a concentration in, in that part of town. I think we've been really clear about that. We've worked very closely with council member Lewis on that. We've engaged that community deeply and we're not done there. Um, we know that there's ongoing conversations around good neighbor uh, agreements and community benefits. And we're very committed to continuing to move those conversations forward. Um, we are not actively looking at new hotels within that area that are not currently being utilized in this kind of way. And so um, that is sort of, that's what the portfolio looks like in that part of town for us right now. We're really focused on other parts of town for this effort as it moves forward. What you didn't mention, um, and when you say that um, the entire community has been reached out to, 
that's not accurate. I live in the Montbello community and you're looking at the Comfort Inn at I-70 in Peoria. And I know we were able to move that meeting so that it had the proper 21 day notice um, for folks, but I have not been alerted to that. My community has not had the conversation and 21 days is very, very quick, especially when we're making major issues or major changes to communities of color where we have worked sometimes decades to build up the economic stability in our neighborhoods. Uh, have you uh, done economic studies uh, throughout the city to evaluate when you uh, consolidate uh, poverty in a geographic area, what the historical effects of that are? Respond to a couple aspects of that because there were a, a lot of sites that are already in Council District 8 that I did not mention. You're right, I did not mention the Comfort Inn. That has been a functioning shelter serving homeless families long before we came in office. I'm not exactly sure when that was created. Um, what it has not been is a conforming use because the prior administration never asked for the use to be uh, changed to conform to a homeless shelter use. We are now updating that precisely because we are doing our best to follow the code to a T even as we move these things forward. And so that's a project that already exists in that way. There are many other projects that council member Lewis knows very well in council district eight that are already serving people experiencing homelessness. And so that's specifically why I didn't address that. Um, we have not done uh, an, an economic study of the impact of this. Um, I will say that it's very clear that council district eight is taking the majority of these units more so than any other area. No other area is even close to that. Um, and so we are grateful to the council members leadership. And I you know, echo the comment from earlier that we want to see these spread all across the city. Um, and we are committed to continuing to look for that. But you know, today we have not yet been able to do that. So if that's your true intent that you're continuing to look at spreading this across the city, um, why are you committing then to uh, having this only be the, or having this be the last emergency declaration if that's really a priority of the administration? Our goal was from the very beginning to bring a thousand people indoors and we have a path to do that by the end of this year. And so we are committed to seeing this through and we are going to be able to do the work that we need to do with you all to try to move contracts forward and get the sites acquired and then it'll be a race to the finish line at the end of the year to try to move people into those as we get them online. And so we feel like the bulk of the work will be complete um, by the end of this year. I also, you know, my statement was that I don't at this time anticipate asking for an extension. We never know what could happen. There could be thousands more migrants that arrive. Winter could set in in a very serious way. Things could change, but our anticipation is not that we would ask for another extension at this point. So the calculations looking at the hotel sites along Quebec, um, the one along, both of the ones along Peoria, that string of them, that uh, calculates out to 681 units that the city is acquiring. And I just have to say, it looks like when you look at the facts that the city acquired this on the backs of black and brown people and that you are not being authentic in the work if you're saying you're no longer going to continue the emergency declaration. Because I guarantee you those more affluent neighborhoods 
will be able to mobilize and they will be able to stop it in their neighborhoods. And it's disappointing that you calculated who you had yes votes on this council and who you thought were going to be no's because if you actually would have gotten me the information that I had asked of you on October 3rd and authentically wanted to work together and do this work, you quite well could have my vote tonight, but because you threw that vote away and it's not gonna matter tonight because it most likely will pass, but you are going to need my vote at another time and it's disappointing so early in this uh, administration that you're treating your fellow electeds in that way and you are not an elected but your boss is and it's very disappointing and so i am going to be a no vote on this because i stand for transparency and accountability and you have thrown that aside to move forward so quickly in communities of color and I am a no vote. Thank you, Council President. I don't have any more questions. Sure, go ahead. I would just like to say that I'm completely committed to continuing to work with you. You and I have continued to have conversations in our briefings, we've had conversations. I'm gonna keep working on that budget and I'm gonna keep working on all the items. Well, don't, don't bother on the budget. That's fine. But We're I, coming to the end here. You've played your play. Um, there's no other questions. Council President, I'm done with my questions. Thank you. And I'll keep working in good faith. Thank you. Councilman Watson. Cole, so my question to you is specific to the, uh, whether there is a no vote tonight on extending the emergency order. Explain what that direct impact has on the process that the administration is going through. Thank you, Council Member Cole Chandler, Mayor, Senior Advisor on Homelessness Resolution. So um, what the emergency declaration does <laughs> is it primarily helps us galvanize city agencies, city support, city priorities around this effort. And so you all know that we stood up the Emergency Operations Center as a part of this effort. We've been able to work with key staff from all across the city um, focused on this priority. We've been able to um, mobilize dollars. We've been able to mobilize people all around this. Um, and there are specific requests that we're making just tomorrow. I'm going before the state housing board on a request for another $3.1 million. Their recommendation, Department of Local Affairs recommendation to the state housing board is tied to the emergency declaration that Mayor Mike Johnson issued on July 18th. And so that is one specific example of, of an ability to galvanize resources. Um, we also have the ability to look at our uh, contracting process and our code process and, and make changes if needed as timelines um, shorten towards the end of the year. We have not attempted to cut corners throughout this process. We've followed, we've attempted to follow the code and they've even gone beyond in, some, in many cases, um, but it does provide some flexibility in that way as well. And so um, I think fundamentally what you do by saying that you support this is you tell Denver residents that this issue is a top priority to you all that it's a top priority to the city, and that even though we may not agree on every piece of the uh, solutions that we're bringing forward, that we're committed to working hard to get this right as we move it forward together. And so I ask for your yes vote so that we can keep those resources coming in, we can keep uh, people galvanized across the city, that you can lend support to the city workers, the frontline workers, the outreach workers that are gonna be doing this work over the next six weeks, 
and we can send that clear message to um, Denver's constituents as well. And I'll just say, in, in, as a quick comment, and I know we're get, we'll have comment um, coming up again. Um, I hear Councilwoman uh, Gilmore's uh, statements to you. Um, I see the concentration of 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 of, of services in District Eight. Those are of concern and should be of the administration. And so um, their concerns are duly noted. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Gilmore, you're back up. Thank you, Council President. I have a quick question because I think it's important that we clarify this for the record. So when the mayor um, declared the emergency declaration on the 18th, it was told to us that it was in order to apply for grants. I have never been provided any information, nor have I seen legally, and Anshul, I don't know if you can weigh in on this, but is there a legal or charter requirement that the city has an active emergency declaration in place in order for us to apply for grant funding? Thanks, Councilwoman Gilmore, Anshul Baga, Legislative Council. Um, the, there's not a requirement in our code or our charter that an emergency declaration be declared in order to qualify for funding. It's possible that an emergency declaration either provides rhetorical support for funding or is tied to another requirement in, say, a state or federal grant that requires an emergency declaration, but that would depend on the grant and also on the amount of rhetorical support. Um, so it's possible that Cole is referencing some form of rhetorical support or a particular requirement for that stream of funding. Okay, thank you, Anshul. Uh, Cole, I have a request. Um, if you could provide to council what either the rhetorical or the required um, grant language was in the grants that the administration have, has applied for since July 18th to this point, I'd like to actually see the language in that grant proposal that requires the city to have an active emergency declaration in place because I don't believe that that is true. I've applied for a lot of federal dollars. Um, I, I'm asking for that language. I don't know what you're gonna respond with because I wanna see the language in writing sent to us via email. If you don't do that, that means that that was maybe not the case. And so I would like to officially on the record request that specific grant language and you can screenshot it or send it over. But I'd like for us in the community to be able to go back and point back to that saying, ah, yes, that's exactly why we needed that emergency declaration um, to apply for those grant funds. I'd like to see that. Thank you, Council President. We never said that um, that it was a requirement of any grant that we submitted for. Certainly, grants that we've submitted for have been supported because of the emergency declaration. I've been told directly by the administration, I'm not going to say names here on the floor, mm -hmm. but that the emergency declaration needed to be in place because you all were trying to apply for federal funds and you needed it there's a difference between if you need it because it's a criteria of the grant application and you must have that fully stated or that you wanted to show support, those are two very different things because this emergency declaration allows the zoning administrator to make huge 
accommodations for the administration to accomplish this work without hearing from residents. And all people want to do is to be heard and share their issues and their concerns for their neighborhood. And I feel like we're really not getting um, to that place for our neighborhood. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Thanks, Cole. Uh, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez online. Thank you, Madam President. I have a quick question um, before I, I ask any questions. Is that we will have opportunity for comment before Correct. the vote? Or is this the time. Okay. Thank yes. you. Um, I guess I just want to lift up the question that I know I've asked in briefings that I've had, and um, and I think that's a lot of what is being discussed tonight. But I want to also lift it up as something I am equally interested in. Is um, you know what? Where are the efforts in um, locating sites in other parts of the city? I know that there are some areas that have have not, um, uh, at least that to my knowledge, ha we haven't seen anything showing that there's been anything being considered in certain parts of the city. Um, and we continue to oversaturate certain parts, um, you know, hearing, um, you know, what's happening in, in District 7 and District 8, um, namely, and, um, you know, I'm... This is just very difficult because I want to continue to support these efforts, but I also want to make sure that those messages are being heard loud and clear and they're being responded to. So I would also like more information about how that is happening. I have expressed um, interest in that um, a few times, but I don't know that I've received actual follow-up. It's just been, yes, we're still looking. Yes, we're just, we're trying, um, but this is something that, um, you know, we've talked about over and over again that the entire city, we all need to lift um, lift this up together, um, but it's not appearing that way. So anything, um, any information would be really helpful to have. Um, thank you for that. Um, I, that. Some of that information is confidential, but I will be sure to share some of it with you in our weekly briefing this coming week. Thank you, Cole. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, public hearing is closed. Comments by members of council on resolution 1776. Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you, council president. Um, well, I just feel completely played. I remember back, you know, now that you brought up that when we all got together and we had uh, this emergency order and I was here making these decisions and I was told, this is what we need in order to activate the emergency operations center. We need to activate the emergency operations center and come to find out now that that is not the case. The emergency uh, activation center has been activated for the Denver Nuggets before we were in office and also it is now active for the migrants without us having to vote on anything. So I feel very confused about what this was needed for, and I'm not gonna, I, never, I didn't ask because I've been clearly told one thing and then another, even though there's this claim that there is so much transparency and that things are being honest, um, but it really doesn't feel that way. And I literally can tell that it is not that way. Um, but I wanna thank everyone that took time to testify and take time out of your days to come down here and kind of see what how things go and, see what we hear and what we go through on a regular basis. Um, I, th I think that uh, we had such an outpouring from District 7, not because they're not welcoming, but just because they're seeing other sites get canceled. 
another site got canceled, another site got canceled, another site got canceled, and it feels like a slap in the face to this community. And I think that when you say, oh, well, now we're going to have a hotel in this district or a hotel in that other district, it really makes me think about the long-term impacts of this, that the tiny home community, or they're not tiny homes, right? They're tiny sheds. Um, communities are going to have on these people um, and on these areas. I want to see that they are going to be successful, but when I see the wraparound services include one mental health professional for seven sites, um, it just doesn't feel like the authentic, true care is like the well-being of these people and their success. Uh, so I just feel incredibly misled when it comes to this emergency order. Um, and back to the concerns, I was told I would get a um, environmental study, which I did, and it was dated after groundbreaking. So we break ground and then we finish the environmental study, which is just an example of bad choices as well as other, there's plenty of things I could go into, but um, I do commend the administration for admitting that mistakes were made and that they're not going to make their house a thousand goal. Um, that's respectable and I feel much of the progress we have made could have already been in the works as you mentioned a lot of the sites in District 8 were already in the works and when I look at the results a lot of the results have come from reunification and leased units so maybe that is the, the way that we need to go um, but I think the most important thing is that people are able to get the wraparound services that they need and I don't see that in in this plan and I don't see how the emergency order is necessary at this point um, because we can operate the EOC without it. Um, I think what it has done is elevated angry, wealthier voices that get listened to. And that is not right. Um, I'm proud of District 7 because we are doing the work and we do have some really great programs, whether it's Urban Peak that's under construction, um, Second Chance Center, which we're trying to move forward with. These are services that are much needed, that we're proud to have, and that, that do lead to really great outcomes. I'm still hopeful that we can work together on making this successful. I do think it's wrong to put so more tiny sheds into a neighborhood with less houses than tiny sheds. So that I'm very concerned about um, and the wraparound services that are gonna be provided. Um, so because of that, I will, I will be a no vote, but I hope to work to the success of, the, of my district and the communities, whether they're tiny home or whatever communities that are in my district. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, I have always been a no vote on this. Um, for the first time, I was considering changing my vote. Um, but after I hear from the residents, thank you all for coming out to testify today. Uh, my concerns have just come back and probably 10 times stronger than they even were July 18th or 21st, whatever date was the first vote, that I was the only no vote on this council. Um, because I could see where this was going. And I sit here and I say that to you as a council member who does not have a, a, a tiny home village or a micro community in my district. Um, you know, hopefully we will. There are some logistical things that are confidential that are going on behind the scenes. I hope we do. I wanna support you. I wanna house a thousand people. I wanna house more than a thousand people. I wanna house everybody. Um, do I think we need an emergency declaration to do it? No, 
do I think that the emergency declaration has meant that we have moved way too fast and cut corners, and tonight we are seeing the consequences of some of those choices, 100%. So I'm still a no, um, but I wanna say thank you again for all of your work um, because we are making a difference. Um, you know, We can disagree on this emergency order and still agree that we are making a difference, that we've, we have a path to housing 800 people um, by the end of the year and, and then more to come. And that's extraordinary and that's important. Um, and I wanna say thank you, Cole, uh, and to your team for, and recognize that as well. Um, but all of that said, I'm still a no tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I, I just wanna be clear about a few things uh, this evening, because I think it's really important for us to all operate in our integrity in this moment. Um, Council District 8 has 58 pallet shelters that will be coming online, 130 for the long term. We aren't including the Comfort Inn. We have another, uh, 195 at Best Western. At 4040 Quinbeck, we're looking at 30 units. That's 552 for 2023. And so when we talk about dispersing this, there is no one who is more interested in welcoming the council members who do not have um, micro communities or units within their there are districts at this time advocating um, for each of you to do exactly that. Since day one on this council, I have shared my concerns that a lot of these plans were in effect prior to me even coming into office. And what I have done with that information is figure it out, turn turn quite literally lemons into lemons into lemonade, working with the mayor and his administration, working with members of this body to figure out how we get folks housed. Is it been per has the process been perfect? Absolutely not. Has it upset me? Absolutely so. And many, many times, many, many missteps have occurred. And I am still committed to making sure that we get, how get folks housed. And so the alternative to getting folks housed is what? What, what, what is it that we're supposed to do if we stop these plans? That we ask folks who are, who are literally at risk of their, losing their limbs or their lives to just stay out while we think about it, and while we sit comfortably in our homes. That is absolutely unacceptable. Am I frustrated that we are concentrated poverty in District 8? Absolutely so. Are my constituents frustrated that we are concentrated poverty in District 8? Absolutely so. And the antidote to that, the answer to that is to not to tell me not to lead. It's to ask the other members of this body on council to lead, to identify those sites. I've heard members, Councilman Watson, Councilwoman Stacey Gilmore, say that they don't have sites in their, don't have sites quite yet in their district. Let's get some sites, y'all. That, that's literally the answer. And so here's my concern, Cole, and I'll just say this on record. My, console, my concern is that we do not have this emergency order in place and we are not operating from a geographical lens. And what I mean by that is that if I have multiple sites in my district, this 552, in my very humble opinion, those should be granted to the individuals who live near those sites who are currently in unsheltered house and that are currently unsheltered. And that's not the case. Those communities have not been prioritized, not a single one. My concern is that paired with the lack of an emergency order makes me worry if the other 
members of this body are actually going to do the work to identify those sites in their district or if we're just going to say, hey, let's continue to press pause and then we'll figure it out. There is no one on this body who has called for more transparency and accountability from day one, not a single person. I have asked about transparency in our contracts, about accountability in our contracts. I asked that question every single time a contract comes before us, specifically a contract that addresses unsheltered homelessness, that addresses the Salvation Army, that addresses the Coalition for the Homeless, because I have to hear every single time I come into these chambers, Jesse Paris say, I live in District 8 in the roach infested, bed bug infested, uh, rat infested uh, Fusion Studios in District 8. And it takes a piece of my soul every time I hear them say that because I do not believe he should be living in those conditions. And the reason he does is because we don't have the oversight that we need on this body to be able to hold those individuals accountable. And I'm asking for that and I've been pushing for that. And so when, when we talk about when we talk about equity, when we talk about black and brown folks, no one on this council has pushed harder for me as it pertains to how when, as it pertains to housing 1000 to make sure that we do so in a way that builds equity that comes from a lens of be, of centering the person the individual and that we're not prioritizing visibility but we are prioritizing prioritizing vulnerability. And so thank you all for your concern about the concentration of poverty in District 8. And my invitation to each of you is to make sure that you all also have sites that you have identified within your council district so that District 8 is not carrying the burden because my, my community is very upset. And where that anger comes to is directly to me. I've already had folks tell me they're getting ready to vote me out of office, that they're going to recall me because of because I am pushing to get members in our community housed. So this rhetoric that we're talking about with mental health, when we're talking about drug addicts, we're talking about violent criminals, that couldn't be further from the truth. And it lets me know that folks are actually not visiting these encampments to get a chance to see the human that is staying in there. These are these are elders in our community. We have an 80 year old in one of our encampments. I want her off the street so bad. I want her to live with me at this point. So lead everyone on this body lead not in words in action. Thank you. Thank you. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. And I don't have a shelter in my community right now. And I don't have a tiny home community but I did when COVID has taken place and I even changed the zoning to allow it. That's how supportive I am of this committed to this um, work is I oftentimes drive around my community and submit sites to the mayor's office so that we can have one in council district one. I've submitted one off of 38th and Irving. I've looked on one of I-70 and federal. So councilman Lewis, you have my guaranteed, guaranteed that I am doing this weekly and my community is here to support you. I just want to say that we had in 2016, we have the social impact bond. And what that did was the first time ever in Denver's history, it created housing first for the chronic homelessness. And I'm going to read the findings. The findings demonstrate that the Denver social impact bond remarkable success and they disrupt the false narratives that homelessness is an unsolvable problem and that people who experience chronic homelessness choose to live on the street. They also show that investment in supportive housing can decrease police interactions and arrests, 
disrupt jail cycling, and reduce the use of emergency detoxification facilities. Expanding investments in supportive housing could end homelessness, break the homelessness jail cycle, and shift resources away from policing and other costly emergency services toward services that focus on housing, well-being, and the prevention of negative outcome for residents and communities. That's what I'm committed to. I was a council aide when this got voted on, and I beg my council member to vote in um, to support the, the social impact bond in 2016. And one of the first things I did when I was elected is I called him and I said, the report is out and it's successful. It's almost 80% successful. So I believe in wraparound services. I believe in making sure that we have these services for people who are unhoused. They have names, they have families, and they get connected back only by us having these hard conversations in our communities and holding our community members accountable and saying, do not be afraid, I will be there with you. So to answer your question, yes, I would walk through one of these communities. Yes, I did go to one of these communities when it was at Regis, Regis University. Yes, I am not afraid to do this, but we need to do it together. I cannot do this alone. I have a migrant shelter right now in my community that's growing, that's expanding. I have gone there every morning. I have gone there every night. I am not afraid to be that person who gets threatened to be called out and say, you will not be voted into office again. That's okay. Don't vote me into office. I will do the people's hard work. I feel like I was elected to represent the 20% of people who do not have a voice in my community. And that's those who are unhoused and who do not have a warm place to go at eight o'clock at night when it's been dark since five o'clock in the evening and turn on the heat and have food. So I will be supportive of this and thank you Cole and thank you to the administration for admitting that you made mistakes. I made mistakes when I was in first elected as well. I make mistakes every single day and I will be the first person to throw myself under the bus and tell my team, hey, I made a mistake. Let me learn from that mistake. So thank you for learning from your mistakes and I will be supporting this till December 31st. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Cashman. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I will be supporting this tonight, but I've got a bunch of, of questions. Um, there's stuff that keeps changing definition. Um, and we're not gonna settle that tonight, but if I'm right and it keeps changing definition, I'm, I'm awfully concerned. Um, I was told this was the last emergency declaration. The members of the mayor's team told me that. And now I hear from you, Cole, well, we might have to come back. I can understand that, but I can't understand being told this was the last emergency declaration. Um, if it is true that there's gonna be one on-site drug counselor for all the, all the sites, like one total and not on each site, that's different than what I was told. And I've asked that question many times to be sure I'm getting the right message. So I'm gonna be real interested in what that turns out to be. Um, the community benefits agreement process. Um, 
is not appearing to be what I expect it to be, which means real negotiation uh, uh, between the community and the administration. Um, I've always been told, you know, you have a good deal when nobody's happy. And that means nobody's happy because everybody's given up a bunch. And that's not the way it, it is appearing to me. Um, I don't have a site in my district yet. The one that was proposed was not a good site. And I believe it should have been withdrawn. I don't think it should have been put forward from the beginning. But while I don't have tiny home villages, I have a number of schools in my district that, that are uh, recipients of uh, a, a lot of migrant uh, kids going to the schools. So we've taken uh, thousands of dollars out of fortunately available out of my district budget to buy supplies for those kids. And we, we have supported um, Ellis Elementary for all the time I've, I've been in office. We're trying to do what we can do, but I need, I need a more clear message and clarification because if it does come back up uh, as another emergency declaration, um, I'm, I'm gonna need clarification that this has been a, a, a straight message from the beginning. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Hines. Thank you, Council President. Um, I, uh, I I don't envy uh, any of us here, frankly, uh, on the on the dais. I uh, certainly also don't envy um, the uh, six new council members uh, because this is a, certainly a tough topic uh, for us to be considering just a few months after taking office. Uh, the, all the easy stuff is sorted before it gets to us and so we get to do all the hard uh, the hard decisions um, one of the advantages of of being a second term uh, council member is uh, is that we in district 10 hosted the first two safe outdoor space locations uh, at 14th and grand and 16th and pearl and gold chandler right there actually managed uh, the 16th and pearl location and um, and so i got to see uh, I had the benefit of wisdom now, um, but I got to see the more than a thousand emails in opposition to the two safe outdoor spaces uh, in District 10. And um, I ultimately uh, was in support. I was in support from the very beginning as uh, Councilmember Sandoval uh, expressed, um, encouraged her council member to uh, to vote for a project when she was a council aide. Um, I had a, a council aide in my office, uh, Liz Zukowski, who was very forceful and, uh, and said that I needed to su support the safe outdoor spaces. So um, it was thanks to uh, Mr. Chandler's leadership. It was thanks to Ms. Zukowski's uh, uh, prodding that, uh, that I was an early supporter of the safe outdoor space uh, locations in District 10, and it turns out once they were operational, uh, people said, "Oh, this is what this this is what we were worried about." And oh, no, no, we want this. What actually? Why are you taking it down? Will you please stop dismantling these safe outdoor spaces because they're great? And um, and so that's why I've been a con consistent supporter of 
uh, of the temporary managed communities or micro communities as the mayor uh, wants to call them. And, um, and so I, I recognized that there was a site that was canceled in District 10, uh, had a large sinkhole in it. And, uh, and maybe we could have remediated the sinkhole. Maybe we could have uh, uh, you know, gotten the, uh, the ground in, into better shape, but it wasn't because a whole bunch of people uh, complained about it. It wasn't necessarily just that. It was uh, just the logistics and, and the, the technical issues with um, this uh, thing that now the property owners can have to deal with, but just didn't know about it at the time. And, um, and maybe that just means that it's dropped off the top of the list. Uh, we also know that that um, property owner is hoping to develop the property. And so it might be by the time it makes it to the top, back to the top of the list, they will already have their permits. And so, um, uh, but rest assured, the, um, that site was not taken off the list because uh, Golden Triangle is a bunch of rich, rich white folks. It's uh, because of geologic facts. Um, with a sinkhole. And, uh, and don't fret, there's still a, uh, a temporary managed community, uh, sorry, micro community that is going forward in Golden Triangle. So, um, so those rich folks, and I live two blocks from them, uh, will also, uh, you know, are, are still pissed off. We have District 10 residents who are very unhappy right here in this. <laughs> Uh, in this in these chambers right now and um, and so it isn't as if uh, we are suddenly uh, happy or placated or um, satisfied as uh, um, as district 10 residents for now but I would say um, that the folks in Golden Triangle didn't know about the safe outdoor space sites that were in district 10 three years ago less than uh, just over half a mile uh, from uh, from these current locations um, suggests to me that they were very effective, that they uh, the, the people who lived in the safe outdoor space sites um, had uh, uh, had privacy. People didn't even know that they were um, uh, they were managed communities for our unhoused. And uh, and I uh, I would also say that the um, the Alati site that is moving forward. Um, there was a, a shelter for women and uh, trans identifying as women for nearly two years at that same intersection. And, um, and we got one email uh, for that entire time. And it was, oh, could those people please quiet down a little bit? So it, I, I think that the biggest, um, uh, the, the biggest issue with this location or these locations is that people know about them. <laughs> frankly, and um, uh, not that I'm trying to hide from, from people. I'm trying to be, uh, I, I agree with Councilmember Lewis, very powerful words, by the way. Um, we should have transparency, um, and that's what we're doing. We're doing the right thing with transparency, but um, the last, so I'm going to support the mayor's extension one more time, but the, the last thing that I would say is uh, don't give the mayor any excuses uh, to um, uh, to not make 1,000. Um, you know, if if council votes down an extension, uh, then it'll be on us. 
um, that he didn't make a thousand. Um, why don't we keep it so that it's on him? Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you, uh, Council President. Uh, I would just like to say, you know, representing District Four in Southeast Denver, um, it's an area that I grew up in. It's an area that I've raised my family and. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I've spent my career in the nonprofit field uh, working in, you know, District 7 and District 8 and District 9, District 11, District 10, all over um, the metro area. And so I hear um, and I appreciate uh, my fellow council members talking about um, the importance of not concentrating and creating pockets of poverty. It's critically important. And I am deeply committed um, to having Southeast Denver and District 4 be a part of the solution, be a part of a network of support that we um, need to have. You know, I'm, we're all here advocating for each of our um, council districts, but I think we also are all here advocating for Denver. And for me right now, advocating for Denver means that we continue for a solution. Um, and working with an extension to um, for the end of the year. Um, I also appreciate the comments from um, my other council members around transparency. And did, you know, has everything been perfect? And I think in the very beginning, there was an analogy. I was like, well, you don't sack your own quarterback. Um, but I think that, you, yeah, now you get it, okay. Um, but I think that now we're at a point where, um, you know, we're multiple plays in the game. And I think that we're still, we're, we are still in play. And I want to see this through. And I think that, um, and I know that I'm uh, appreciative to the voices within um, the community, the voices within Southeast Denver that have come forward, that have shared their concerns, because that has made um, my lens and perspective of what else do we need to do to be able to respond in a thoughtful way um, for uh, for a you know micro community and to be able to um, advocate for um, those who are unhoused and our unhoused neighbors, um, I do want to just call out real quick, um, Councilwoman uh, Lewis. I appreciate the sentiment of of talking about it's a time to lead, and we've had lots of conversations about what this looks like and. We've had a lot of conversation as well as um, thinking about how, how can we do this effectively and how do we partner. Um, I know that I look and see my fellow council members as partners. I see you as partners. I appreciate um, the push. I appreciate the push with the mayor's office as well. Um, and knowing that there are areas for improvement. Um, we have looked at multiple sites. We followed up on all of the, the leads that people have shared. Um, and I'm committed to making sure that those come to fruition. So I will be a yes on this um, this evening um, on the extension. I hope that we can reach 1,000. I want to be part of that. I think that we need to continue to push um, and continue to do the best that we can do um, for our unhoused neighbors um, and for our communities. Uh, and knowing that, um, you know, we're not, it, I think Cashman said it, or Councilman Cashman said it well, of, you know, you know, you've got a good deal when nobody's satisfied and it sounds like nobody's satisfied. 
right now, so we must have a decent deal moving forward. But I do know that we have a lot of work yet to do. Um, I don't feel like the work is over. Um, and um, again, for that reason, I'm gonna be a yes this evening. Um, thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Uh, Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Um, I'm gonna be a yes vote tonight. Let me start off by just stating where, I, where I'm at. I've shared a story of my family and my sister dying unsheltered on, on the streets. And the one thing that she wanted throughout the 10 and a half years that we, um, our family struggled with finding her, her, her shelter um, was that she wanted some level of shelter. She wanted to be housed. She wanted um, support for her mental illness and for her uh, drug addiction and, and her being just as impacted. She wanted a chance, she wanted an opportunity and that's why I, I've supported the, the mayor's order from the beginning. Well, let's be clear. Um, there's not been a week that has passed that Cole or Andres or any other member of the mayor's team that I have not walked uh, you throughout District 9 identifying spots for micro communities um, to add on top of the service providers and the shelters um, that we have that pocket our communities for the last not four years, not 10 years, but for the last 70 to 80 years. Um, my community is asking for more. And so we have been advocating within my office to reduce the number of shelters or micro communities in some um, districts and to increase in mine. And I'm still to this day, um, we're gonna continue to find sites so that other communities um, that are sharing um, uh, this, this, this opportunity to shelter are unhoused, um, that District 9 continues to take the lead and continue to be a part of this, this process. What's the alternative? To be clear, prior to me being elected, there were 200 plus folks, and I think that's an undercount, that died unsheltered on our streets. Um, not having this, um, this, this emergency order does not change the requirement of us as elected officials to ensure that the folks who are living and dying on our streets, that they find shelter, that they find housing. It'll be nice if every district in Denver had homeless shelters like we do in District 9. It'll be nice if every district in Denver had a welcome center for migrants. It'll be nice if all of the encampments that we have and had for decades that those were shared. It's not going to happen. I know this. But I support this because the alternative to failure is more folks dying on the streets once again while I'm sleeping comfortably in my house. This must be done better. There must be more transparency. There must be more clarity. But absolutely not at this time in this situation with all the things that we have to do, will I vote no on this? So Cole and team, perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Has everything that we've done within this housing, um, um, this crisis, has it been done perfectly? The answer is no. But I know why I was elected in District 9, and it is because we said yes. We want folks not dying on 20th and Curtis. We want them in micro-communities in District 9. And I'm going to continue to fight for that beyond the tagline of Housing 1000, because that means nothing to me and the community members in Curtis Park and Ballpark, who have, once again, for the last 70 years, have been the caregivers for folks living and dying on our streets. And we will continue to do that, and I will continue to support this emergency order. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. 
Thank you, um, Madam President. And um, I guess what I want to say is that, you know, um, I appreciate what you said earlier, Cole, because I wholeheartedly agree that helping people find housing is important. And we have heard from everyone that, um, and when I say by everyone, I say the administration, from my colleagues, that we all want to do our part um, here in the city. And that even means that in neighborhoods that have historically um, have not shared the lift of helping in these types of efforts would be tasked with doing so. And so that is still an expectation that I have going forward. I've even heard from community members who have been a part of Denver for generations. What they have said to me is, here we go again. Uh, you know, the affluent areas get what they want and, and now it's left on the backs of, you know, our um, communities of color to, um, to take this on. And I'm not gonna call it a burden because that's not what this is. It's not about being burdened. It is about showing up for our community and all of us pitching in together. We heard, um, you know, from public comment tonight, which I greatly appreciate. I, what I heard was not necessarily people saying, don't support this any forward. I heard folks pointedly say that they want to ensure that people are still getting the help that they need. They want to, they're, they're not necessarily opposed to perhaps a site, but instead are asking for guardrails, are asking for parameters. And so I, I, what I say to that is, you know, let's listen um, to that and let's listen equally across the city. I wanna thank Councilwoman Lewis, and I couldn't say it any better than, than you said it tonight. I cannot turn my back on this effort. We can't turn our backs on these efforts because now that would roll back the ultimate goal of getting people sheltered and getting them the help and the resources that they need, which I still, um, I still am curious what that will look like going forward. Um, as I've been a huge proponent and, and asking questions about what happens next. After somebody is sheltered, they're receiving services, whether they're wraparound, what happens when they make that next step, that transition? Because we right now already lack, uh, are, are very much um, lacking treatment providers in the city and county of Denver and the metro area. So I ask again, is what is the transition? What is the continuum of care so that people don't continue to cycle through over and over again? I, um, the last thing I just wanna say is that in the same vein of accountability and something I forgot to ask um, you know, of Cole earlier, but I'm going to put the request out there now is that we receive updates in these final days of this emergency order, knowing that we're going through December 31st, so it's going beyond the 30 days that we have previously done, I want to make sure that we are having public, uh, uh, you know, some type of update that we can share with the public um, to ensure that there is that accountability. So um, I'm going to continue to support this because I don't want to roll back the work that has been done. I don't want to turn my back on our unhoused um, community. And I wanna make sure that they're getting um, the services and the supports that they need. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Uh, Councilwoman Parity. Um, thank you, Madam President. And thank you to all of my colleagues. Um, 
I will be in support tonight because I absolutely agree with my colleague, Councilmember Lewis, in saying that our first responsibility as a city is to the people who are suffering badly out there tonight. Um, I'm very clear about that. Um, what we've done as a city under this emergency order is that we've built out a new non-congregate shelter system. Um, is that safer and more trauma-informed than congregate shelter? Yes, we needed to do it. Um, but I think for people watching that, you know, even if we're no longer in a declared state of emergency on January 1st, that's not going to allow us to simply move on at the end of the year. Um, I think it's extremely important as elected le leaders to be honest with the people of our city. We have to be honest about why we make decisions. If it's a sinkhole that led us to take a site off the list, mm -hmm. we have to say it's a sinkhole. We can't say to the city at large um, that a particular group of neighbors was able to get a site shut down. That undermines the values of this entire program um, and is not honest. Um, we have to be honest about the scope of our challenges and their root cause, which is a breathtaking divestment from basic social safety nets, not by this city, to be clear, um, by higher levels of government and, and very large social forces that have been at work in our country for you know, 40, 50 years now. Um, but we are seeing the fruits of that. We are seeing it in a desperate day-to-day -day human cost. Um, we also have to be honest that, um, th that this initiative is not going to end visible homelessness. I so badly wish that we could be there in any near-term future, um, but I'm looking at the eviction figures in the city, I'm looking at the cost of rent, um, and we are not coming to the end of that work. So I don't feel like we can mislead our constituents um, into thinking that you know a six-week push um, to the end of the year is gonna get us any work close to that. Um, and I think that we have to be honest about the fact that we're gonna continue um, to essentially see people living in unsheltered homelessness in our communities um, and that we continue to owe them compassion and respect um, and not sort of a shift to a law enforcement oriented response, which is what I'm afraid is coming after the first of the year. Um, I am very much in support of continuing the emergency declaration because um, as my colleague, uh, Councilmember Cashman has said um, throughout the last several months, this is an emergency. It's a crisis. Um, it is multifaceted. Um, I think we need to continue the level of coordination, the level of messaging that we've seen around this. Um, and I really do credit the mayor and his team for, for expanding our shelter capacity so dramatically in such a short period of time. That was important and we needed to do it. Um, but we have more heavy lifts, lifts ahead of us as a city. And I just, um, I want us to be honest about that with people. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. Uh, you know, I was an early supporter of the safe outdoor site in front of the Airy P. Taylor building. We had um, meetings, myself and Councilman Herndon, we had meetings with the community and we had a conversation with them. We answered their questions. We alleviated fears that they might have, um, real or unfounded fears. Um, we um, continue to do that work with community. And when we knew that the Tower Road site was maybe not going to be a viable site, um, 45 days ago, I shared with the administration to look at 61st and Pena to evaluate that site. I have never heard anything back from the administration about the additional sites that I shared with them. And really my no vote tonight is not that I do not support the concept of this. I currently have a niece who is living on our streets homeless right now. 
what I have asked time and time again is how are you prioritizing folks to get into shelter? Are we looking at individuals who have pre-existing health conditions, who are older adults, who are more vulnerable? Are we prioritizing families with children and others? I have never received a breakdown of how we're truly going to get those who are most vulnerable housed or into shelter quickly because we know winter is already here. And for me as an elected official to make requests over and over and over again in good faith, trying to work together, and I will continue to try to work together. You know that, but for me to make those requests and then those to be ignored or I have to ask about it again, the process lacks transparency and accountability. And those are the fundamentals of good governance. So you can build trust with your constituency, with the citizens of Denver, to know that what you say is what you mean, and it's going to be what you do. And that is not what I have seen. And so unfortunately tonight, I will be a no vote. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. And I wanna thank um, all my all the speakers who came out tonight, those who are still watching um, online, on TV and on Zoom, um, and all of my colleagues. Um, I will also be supporting tonight. I, I wanted to correct something that I heard because it just hasn't been true um, in my experience. And I heard more than one person say it tonight that due to the declaration, zoning and permitting, processes have been um, suspended. That's absolutely false. Um, my district, Council District 3, has hosted three safe outdoor spaces. None required a rezoning process. It was all a use permit, and one of those was contested and lost that, um, that protest. Um, and none were created during this declaration. So these are not things that have, these are not exact parallels, and I just want to make sure that that's clear. Um, and also that only five districts of our um, nine, 11 council districts have hosted safe outdoor spaces or tiny home villages. So the vast majority haven't had to have this conversation yet. And that's what we're experiencing. Um, uh, that apprehension, that fear. Some of us have already worked through that in our communities to a high degree and, and, and been able to see the results. Council District 3 has hosted three of these locations. We have one currently open right now. Um, and they start with a lot of questions. We were, we were hosting uh, a good neighbor agreement committee meeting every week, every week, every week. And then it, it, it whittled down to every other week. We didn't need to meet every week. And then it whittled, whittled down to every month. And it, it, things just got improved. Communication got improved. There were some neighbors who could not be won over, period, at the end of the day. Um, but the vast majority of questions and concerns just never came to fruition. Um, so I just want to um, uh, encourage, particularly neighbors who have not had to have this conversation yet, that you have council members who are committed to not just a process. We're not just trying to get to a finish line, Cole. Um, and I, I think we're, we're, we're trying to get through um, even a bigger process than that. Um, I want to announce that Council District 3 is on the path to house 1,800 families over the next several years. Um, Sun Valley, 1,000. West Colfax, 430. La Alma, 187. Barnum, 108. Villa Park, 140. These are all 
permanent supportive housing projects and deeply affordable builds that are under construction or in permitting in my district right now. So this city is working on the other side of that bookend. This, this is a difficult conversation that we've had to have, but I just wanna feel like I can share that because this has felt very myopic. Like this is the only thing that we're doing because we can only do one thing at a time. We're doing all the things and my district is contributing deeply to that. I've got 10 neighborhoods, eight of which are nest neighborhoods. That means we have the most low income, the most black and brown. Um, th those, are, those are things that are shared through only a few of our council districts. Um, and they're things that we pay attention to on a regular basis. So I don't want folks to feel like we're circumventing the needs of our communities to get to a finish line. And I don't think we are. Um, so with that, I will be supporting tonight. Um, and I will also add, we have Tuesday meetings for updates and that includes our migrant updates as well. Um, and then we'll be in safety on December 20th, Cole, uh, for um, an update before the end of this declaration um, to hear where we're at um, on all things. So um, just a final thank you to all of my colleagues. I know how much you care um, about the end goal and about getting there and I learn from you every single day. So thank you very much. Um, Madam Secretary, roll call on council resolution. 23-1776. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Alvidrez. No. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. No. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer? No. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Three nays, 10 ayes. 10 ayes. Council Resolution 1776 is adopted. Thank you, everyone, for, being, for staying so late. Um, on Monday, December 11th, 2023, Council will hold a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-1482, changing the zoning classification for 624 East 50th Avenue and 4964 North Pearl Street in Globeville. At a required public hearing on Council Bill 23-1567, changing the zoning classification for multiple properties along East Colfax between Grant Street and Yosemite Street in North Cap Hill, Capitol Hill, City Park West, Cheeseman Park, City Park, Congress Park, South Park Hill, Hale, Montclair, and East Colfax. Any protests against council bills 1482 or 1567 must be filed with the council offices no later than noon on Monday, December 4th, 2023. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned.